Hello and welcome to the Fighting With Myself podcast, a podcast for the above-average MMA fan, hosted by an above-average man. And I am that man. My name is Juice. Last night, we had an interesting night of fights. UFC Vegas 5, or as I'm calling it, Night of the Dick Kicks. Dick Kicks at the Apex. I mean, what the fuck, bro? Let's start there. I don't know if there's a record, like, I don't know if they keep track of this sort of thing for there to be a record, but I don't know if there's a record for most nut shots landed across a whole fight card, but if there is one, this one broke it. I mean, dude, that was, like, every fight had a nut shot, like, can these guys keep their fucking feet and knees out of each other's dicks? Jesus. It hurt me looking at those uh, shots. There was a tweet I saw that made me laugh really hard. It might have been Alex. might have been um, Wordsmith Wench. The account formerly known as MMA Me. Um, it was like all the <laughs> man-hating female MMA fans watching these nut shots. And it was a gif of like people celebrating. I thought that was really funny. You gotta laugh at yourself. But hey man, uh, let's talk about the stories to emerge from these fights. Now, the story for me starts before the fights even begin. Uh, another record, if again they keep track of these things, I think, and and feel free to not correct me on this because I'm just talking here, but amount of fights to fall through on fight week. Now, 223 had a lot as well. If you'll remember, that was uh, meant to be Khabib versus Tony. Then that fell through. Max jumped in. That fell through. And then Connor fucking threw a dolly at a bus and caused a bunch of fights to fall through. Namely, Kiesa versus Pettis. Fucking Felder versus Iaquina fell through because Iaquina jumped up. Fucking Ray Borg versus Brendan Moreno fell out because of the fucking eye thing. Like, the glass in the eye, I'm saying. Like... There were a lot of fights. However, I, I want to, let's see, one, two, three, four, five fights fucking fell out, um, if I'm doing my math correctly. Um, and these are not in order, by the way, chronologically. I'm just listing them. Uh, we lost Ed Herman versus Gerald Mearshart. I believe we lost that on the day of. Uh, I was really looking forward to that fight. Uh Ed Herman has been a career middleweight, and uh, Gerald Mishart is also a career middleweight. Um, he was going up to light heavyweight, and I thought that was going to be really interesting because Ed Herman has been proven at light heavyweight, or at least he's had a few fights and a few a few of them are wins. I don't know, like proven, proven, but he's had experience at that weight class. And Gerald Mearshart, to my knowledge, has not fought at 205, at least not in the UFC. So that was going to be really interesting, and we lost that because Gerald tested positive for COVID. And uh, while, while I'm on that subject, I tested negative for COVID. Thank God. I was in a terrible 72-hour self-quarantine until the results came in, which was uh, not pleasant, to say the least. And the test itself was not pleasant. Stick a swab up my nose like they were probing for lost memories. <laughs> I, think that was, I think that was Eric Sama who said that. But yeah, dude, it was not cool. And then... Ray Borg withdrew for reasons unknown at uh, at present. 
Um, we assume it might have something to do with his family. That's that could be what it is. A lot of people were quick to say the weight cut thing because he has fucking missed weight a ton of times. But this was a bantamweight fight, even though he did miss weight at bantamweight one time. He usually misses at flyweight, and uh, this was before um, this was before weigh-ins, I believe. So uh, y'all are fucking quick with those uh, with those slandering slander, slanderous tweets. Fucking duplicitous as hell, this MMA community. Um, so we lost that. Um, Johnny uh, Munoz stepped in to fight uh, Manis. And so I think that was a part of that fight. Eric Spicely had to withdrew, had to withdraw, rather. It's fucking grammar. Um, from a weight cut issue stemming from uh, taking antidepressants which is, I think, a story that has yet to be written. Uh, I would love to hear from Eric regarding that. Um, I actually would love to have him on the podcast, but um, I usually don't do interviews because I'm not fucking good at them. So anyway, uh, but he, he talked about how he's um, taking antidepressants due to the head trauma he received in the draw and win fight. Like, that's wild to me. And this is his first uh, fight since then. He's had a number of fights fall through. Um, a lot of them were... Um, or a few of them were on the March 28th card that inevitably got canceled. Like, he had an opponent switch, so one of that those fights did fall through before the card fell through, and then the card fell through. Um, pretty pretty crazy stuff. Um, I was looking forward to his fight uh, with uh, Marcus Perez, and that did not materialize. Um, and then we had um, what was scheduled to be a, a battle between Jamal Emers and Timur Valiev. Uh, Valiev had to withdraw. Again, I don't think the reason has been uh, said at this time. And then Vince Cachero uh, stepped in. So, first of all, I want to say, I think, uh, at least as far as what's come out, Ed Herman versus Gerald Mearshart is the only one that uh, that was because of COVID. But this is what I wanted to say, man. Like Reasons like this are why a second wave is imminent, if not already in place. I respect the UFC and I thank the UFC for wanting to return to uh, somewhat of a new normal business as not usual, but, you know, returning to business uh, during these times. Uh, It's given uh, a lot of us an escape. It's given these fighters a fucking paycheck, even though you can just pay them anyway um, and not have to spend money on fucking fire. And like, that's a whole other topic, which I've gone into more than once. But not, not only the the fact that these fights are falling off, the fact that they're scrambling to replace the fighters, and and not everyone is in fucking quarantine. Like, if a fight falls off because of COVID, that fight's done. And and yes, it sucks, but take the money you were gonna pay those fucking fighters and just pay them rather than paying some fucking new guy. Like, don't bring in new people. It's like the whole you saw the thing how they have like a a certain number of or maybe it's an infinite number i'm not sure but they have a discretion where they can waive the four month or six month uh like waiting period you're supposed to have been in the pool for four to six months depending upon your history um before you re-enter um the ufc or enter for the first time but they have like a an exception like a waiver for, for new combatants especially on like a short notice uh like situation and that's kind of what they're doing with this COVID shit. They're just like, okay, cool. Like, I don't know what uh, parameters they're going through. Oftentimes in those situations, it's like some sort of a questionnaire. Like, are you, have you come into contact with anybody with symptoms? Do you have symptoms? And bro, they're going to lie. 
Like, fighters lie to doctors all the time just to get cleared in normal times. You don't think they're going to lie about COVID? Fuck out of here, man. Like, put the parameters in place, isolate people until the tests come back, and don't fucking rush to fill these slots if the opponents fall out because of COVID. Or otherwise. Because, listen, short notice, stuff like that is, is how we get messy. These have to be... You have to follow protocol. It just it infuriates me, and I don't want to sound like a fucking ungrateful piece of shit. But these are these are the facts, man. Or not? I guess there's some fact in what I'm saying, but I'm, these are the these are the circumstances we find ourselves in. Um, but I want to pivot from that because I mentioned that Jamal Emmers, um, that Vince Cachero stepped into replace timur valiev against jamal emmers and what a performance from jamal emmers and i, and I forgot that um he had a really good fight against giga chikadze and i, I want to say if i'm if i remember at the time i have probably have to rewatch it but i think i kind of scored that for emmers like i was i was surprised when giga won uh i could be wrong maybe there's another giga fight but uh I definitely loved uh, jamal's performance in that fight and because he didn't you know emerge victorious in the scorecards we're kind of like that gets lost in the sauce a little bit, but this to me was fucking a classic performance. Of course, it's against someone coming on short notice, and that he's supposed to look like that. But I mean, first of all, hats off to Cashero. Like, what an iron chin! Like Jamal was throwing everything at him, dude. I mean, he reminded me of uh, AJ McKee in there, just so fucking loose and just throwing, mixing in this takedowns with the striking. Like that was unbelievable i really lo look forward to jamal emmers and i'm not gonna you know this is not like a chamayev situation where i'm like let's fucking give him a crack of the bell or whatever like people are saying this is just a, a prospect to watch this is a guy i'm really excited about um and uh, i think he deserves like a slow push uh, if i can say that though he's been in the sport for a while so maybe he's fucking you know other time is undefeated like you gotta race against the clock sometimes in those situations so um by the way another thing that uh gets on my nerves you guys would know this if you listen to my all my stuff but i reject uh most comparisons from to from mma to other sports and that it does it even can be in a general sense like when i hear someone talk about mma the way they would talk about another sport even if it's not making a direct comparison i fucking tune out dude i really do like when people are like well he'll never be a contender this is why and i'm like Bleh. we're watching human beings try to kill each other and there can only be one winner like losses don't mean shit bro so stop some of that too is cloud chasing by the way and i and i i used to go on record on saying cloud chasing doesn't exist because clout doesn't exist and then i've i've realized that it doesn't have to be real for people to chase it. So enough of these cloud chasers. Anyway, let's talk about more positive things. Lando Venata versus Bobby Green is everything I wanted it to be. Um, other than the fact that, you know, uh, I'm a big Lando fan. I've said that. And I'm a fan of Bobby Green as well. Uh, I think I've, I've made that clear as well. But Lando is from Neptune, New Jersey, even though he trains in New Mexico. I'm just kidding. I love New Mexico. Um, but he, he's from Neptune, even as rep it often, um, he is from here and, uh, uh well, I'm, I shouldn't say here, but, uh, that's not too far from where I am. It's actually, uh, very close to Asbury where you guys might know that from, uh, our boy Genghis is from there. 
Uh, it's a great area. I fucking love it. And uh, I love Lando for, for that. And I just love his fighting style, dude. That fucking amazing uh, spinning wheel kick, spinning hook kick, whatever you want to call it, against fucking John McDessey. Fan. Fan for life, dude. And their first fight was already a classic. Like, it was a draw. And uh, that 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 fight, the first one, was exactly what you want to see in a draw. Or, like, not, you know, I hate draws. And you never want a draw. But what I'm saying is, if you were to show someone, like, what a draw is, that fight is a perfect example to show them. Uh, because that, I, I thought that uh, score was apropos. Now, Bobby really um, capitalized on the knowledge that he learned from that first fight, even though it was a few years ago. Um, he really felt like this was almost like an immediate rematch because he was—he really had Lando's number. Uh, I mean, I think Lando won one of those rounds, but other than that, it was, it was the Bobby Green show. Um, speaking of the Bobby Green show, him spraying the water, bro, gross. Like, it's already kind of weird when people do it, and then, but like it's fine, but during a pandemic, like, ugh, ugh, like I understand people test positive, but like stuff like that and making allowances for that is how we get fucking complacent. And that's how more cases emerge. Uh, I don't know, but uh, man, and I said this is funny. Like I tweeted it, and I saw Tev tweet about it, and then I saw Alex tweet about it. I was like, man, this is fucking wild. Like Bobby Green and Lando Venata could fight all the time. And I would be fucking with it. I would, I really would. Like I don't I don't care. This is why like I love him, man, because I don't care about wins and losses. Even if they fight like that old adage like, oh, if we fight ten times, I win nine of them or whatever. Like I don't care if they fight and Bobby wins nine of them. Like I still want to watch them fight ten times. You know? I love that. I love that stylistic matchup. It's really uh, a lot of fun. And speaking of fun matchups, fuck the rankings, okay? Because all they do is give people reasons to turn down fights and they use it to justify giving title shots to people that might not have earned them under normal circumstances. Like, they play with those rankings, dude. It's a fucking conspiracy. Because why can't I have Vicente Luque versus Muslim Salikov? That's the fight, dude. That's a fucking great fight. And before people say that it's not the fight, you're saying it's not the fight because of the rankings. And kudos to Vicente Luque for, for always... Uh, not really giving a fuck and fighting down. Like, he didn't have to fight Nico Price. He didn't have to fight Randy Brown. Those dudes are on rank. But he beat the shit out of him anyway. He did that for us. And we respect him. We love Vicente Luque for that. And you know who else we love? Musum, king of kung fu, Salakhov. He should be fucking beating the shit out of Vicente Luque right now. Not saying he would win. I mean, obviously, you know, you know where I stand on that. But, uh, you know, they would beat the shit out of each other. I mean, that would be a crazy fight. So yeah, fuck the rankings. And that's why, that sort of leads me into my next point, which is JoJo, a.k.a. Dr. Neville, a.k.a. Joanne Calderwood, did not have to take this fight against Jennifer Maia. It was a short-notice replacement. But she did have to take the fight. It's a paradox. Because while she did not have to accept it, she had a towel shot waiting for her. Financially, she needed this fight. She last fought in September, uh, was scheduled to fight Valentina in June, 
like already would have been like a crazy time. That fight fell through. I think it fell through before everything hit, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, like it, like Valentina was injured, and then like where are we now? She's falling in no man's land. Needs a paycheck. It's been almost a year. Of course she has to take this fight. This is not like uh like I saw some some people saying like you know people people are gonna learn to wait for title shots. She wanted to wait. I'm sure she waited already a long time. But she couldn't wait. And so it's fucking ridiculous that she had to take this fight in the first place. Now, all credit to, to Maya for, for getting her out of there early. Uh, that was a really nice display of jiu-jitsu. First round armbar. Beautiful. Uh, I was worried for JoJo. I mean, she defended well for a bit. I mean, by defended well, she kind of did what she could and hung in there. But that, that armbar was tight. I mean, Maya really locked that up. And I shouldn't be talking about the loser. You know, I should be hyping up Maya. You know, and I don't want to discredit her win. But this, to me, is a, is a story of uh, circumstance. And JoJo not having a contract that allows her to wait for a title shot. I really think MMA contracts are so antiquated and they need to be evolved. Um, it's It's like I love the MMA model more than the boxing model. Of, of promoters being, you know, like sort of the same same as a manager kind of, and, and they kind of manage their own stable, and promoters versus promoters kind of go on, and you have a whole thing, whereas the UFC is like, has all their fighters, and they fight each other, and then you have your manager separately. Like, part of that allows for corruption, and part of it stops corruption, because of the, the boxing model definitely allows for corruption, but it's a monopoly. It gives the UFC all the power. Well, it is what it is. I guess I'm not going to harp on it too much. But, man, let's talk about the main event. And so going into this, you know, Edmund's been on such a tear. And Brunson had sort of a bad losing streak. And then he kind of came back a little safe. And so I wasn't sure which Brunson we were going to get. And uh, I knew that Brunson had the skills to beat Edmund. But I did think Edmund was going to get it done. And I and a majority of us thought the same way. But I started to kind of put more faith in Brunson during fight week when I saw people, and, and shout out to G for kind of, uh, you know, tweeting out his resume of how he kind of only loses to the top guys. That's true. And um, Brunson is no slouch. And so the gatekeeper moniker is somewhat fair. I mean, they've given him some young guys. But uh, I don't know that uh, it, it applies in this situation. And by the way, a gatekeeper doesn't always have to lose. You know what I mean? You know, if if he beats a young guy, you can't go, he's no gatekeeper. I mean, sometimes you don't get past the gate. I mean, I don't know. Uh, the analogy is not really, uh, it's kind of falling flat. But Derek was... was was piecing him up. He was getting the better of him in the wrestling and the striking to an extent, uh, mostly the wrestling. But uh, Edmund was really uh, out of his out of his element here. And I thought that the three rounds would benefit him. Like if th- if this was five rounds, I would probably lean Brunson because he has more experience in five round fights. Um, but this really was not his fight. Uh, this was all Brunson. And I want to say shame on everyone involved in in 
this fight going to the third round. Shame on Herb Dean. Shame on Coach Edmund Terverdian. Shame on the fucking ringside physician. Shame on everyone who let that fight go to the third round. Edmund was out. Herb kind of half-waved it off. It reminded me so much of Cowboy vs. Mospital. I'm pretty sure it was Herb Dean in that fight as well. He fucking let Cowboy take more damage after getting knocked out. This wasn't as bad, but it was pretty bad. That, that should have been called off. Give that even one more second. Definitely two, but I, I'm, I'm almost certain even one more second, Herb Dean would have waved that off. But the bell kind of saved him. Herb Dean knew uh, the clock. And it was it, like, ugh. It's not... It's not it. And you could see Edmund was leaning against the fence. Coach Edmund was, was, was doing his best to get him fired up. And the guy was out of it. And I'm not, and I, I tweeted this out. I, I said, you know, let's uh, slow the hype train on Edmund. I'm not going to necessarily slow it myself. I meant, uh, I'm going to say that every, everyone else is going to uh, slow the hype train. I still think that guy has a, has, a, has a pretty high ceiling and has a great potential. Um, but I do think, you know, I remember the guy's, what is he, 22? So young in his career. He's going to get better. He's going to fix those holes. Um, I don't think this was a, a bad situation. A bit better to do it now than, uh, you know, in a situation like Garen Till when you're fighting for a world title getting exposed. Uh, you know, better than a three-round main event on ESPN Plus when uh, not that many people are watching. So um, kudos to both men for putting out there. Kudos to Brunson for, uh, you know, showing that he's not a gatekeeper, I guess, or still could be, like I said. Sometimes the gatekeepers win, you know. But uh, showing that he's not a stepping stone, I should say. One other thing, I want to shout out Angela Hill on the broadcast. We need more of that. I need more Ange. I always need more Ange. And uh, <laughs> I tweeted to Molly. I was like, Molly, you got to get Angela Hill on the podcast. And your boy made that shit happen. Molly was like, Ange, when are you free? Ange was like, hey, hit me up. She's like, I'm going to DM you right now. Boom. I mean, things like this sometimes... Uh, don't come to fruition, but it, it appears as though I set it up, you know, I'm like a fucking producer, I'm making connections, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm dumb, but, uh, I also want to shout out CastBox, um, that's my favorite platform to listen to podcasts on, personally, and, um, on Twitter, they dared me to shout them out, so, ain't no bitch, you know, you dare me to do something, Besides fucking harming myself or doing something goddamn ridiculous. I'm going to do it. Don't all go daring me to do shit now. Because I will ignore you and pretend I didn't see it. And that brings us to the end of this segment. Uh, and now, ladies and gentlemen, let's move right into the forum. everyone's favorite segment the forum this is questions from the good people of mma twitter and beyond let's be fair mostly just mma twitter people who are sending in questions they need answers and i've got them but this is not about me this is about y'all uh the first question comes from a homie john noble at js noble 16 
He says, Harry Potter, Star Wars, and Lord of the Rings. Rank them in order of best and explain why. Yo. I am so glad to answer this. I'm excited to answer it. I did this in a tweet once and didn't get to fully go in depth. This is, uh, I, I think, uh, Octagon Jones, a.k.a. Slick Diaz, uh, made this tweet once. It was like, rank these. And I, I responded, look, it's Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Star Wars, in that order. And I'm not fielding questions about that. That is the correct order. And I stand by that. For what it's worth, I think Smokey J uh, replied and said he agreed with me. And uh, we all know that Smokey J is always right. So... Uh, suck on that. But anyway, let me tell you why. When you're talking about, let's see, see, my personal favorite of those is Harry Potter. You guys know that that's fucking, I was raised by that. You know, if you, if you're not, you know, my generation, it's, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around that. People say, oh, it's just for kids. Like, you don't fucking know. You don't fucking know, man. You don't know our struggle. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, when it comes to, to ranking them in order of best, there are certain criteria, and Lord of the Rings tops Harry Potter. Here's why. The, that, the other two do not exist without Lord of the Rings first. It, it, it is the first, uh, it is the most important um, piece of literature and uh, really film in that genre. Um, people think the, the films were kind of like a... The, I don't know if some people know it's based on books. I don't really know. Or maybe they think the, the books were around the same time. The books were from, like, I want to say the 40s. Like, they're old books. And uh, it really follows the journey of the hero to a T. He uh, really changed the game into the creative writing field because he created a whole world uh, outside of, of what is in the book. Like, what's in the books is just the tip of the iceberg. Like, he really created that fucking whole world. He created languages, multiple languages. I mean, he had a degree in linguistics, uh, he being uh, Tolkien, who wrote them. I mean... They're so fucking uh, in-depth. In if you haven't heard about the Silmarillion, look that up. Very important. It's kind of a precursor to everything. It explains the whole structure of the world. Uh, it's a tough read. Like, I can't read it more than once. Uh, but uh, The Hobbit as well is a direct prequel to the, the trilogy. He tried to publish that as one book. Uh, it was supposed to be The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and Return of the King. That was meant to be one book just called Lord of the Rings. And it was fucking like 1,200 pages. And they were like, yo, you got to cut this shit down. So we, uh, I was like, I'm not cutting it down, but I will publish it in three different books. And that's why we have that trilogy. And that's kind of why I think trilogies are, are like lauded. Like so, if something is successful, they're like, oh, why don't you do two more? Like, like we can't just have like one good one. Um, or sometimes we'll do, you know, plan to do trilogies from the beginning. It's so important. And, uh, so, so there's that close second is Harry Potter now. The cultural significance and cultural impact on my life is is greater than that of Lord of the Rings. But it, I'm not the most important thing here. And like I said, uh, it's like picking fucking Rhonda over Gina Carano. Like, there's no fucking Rhonda without Gina. So Gina's the GOAT. Lord of the Rings is the GOAT in that regard. Now, uh, Harry Potter. Obviously, uh, I love it. It's my favorite. Um, it has greatly impacted um, the way I view the world. And uh, just just in general has helped me cope with certain situations I can, I can even tell you like the like people stress the houses so much and i think people just sort of read about them and they want to be they want to think that they have one quality 
that is in one of the houses and they say, oh, oh, I'm that, without actually knowing. See, the sorting process is so fucking delicate and so uh, important that it can't be belittled in that regard. I remember thinking, oh, any test that uh, I can take would... Uh, would not be accurate because whenever I'm taking those tests, I can always tell what answer is leading me toward which of the options at the end. And I'm always like, no, I don't want to do that. Then I had a friend um, who, who told who told me, you got to take the Pottermore test. Don't go in with any expectations. Just take it and you'll know. I did that. And I could not tell a single one. I mean, there's some that were kind of vague, like I was pretty sure, but like for the most part, could not tell. And I was like, I just got to just be honest. And I came out the other, and I went, so I went to that, telling them I was a Ravenclaw, but just kind of assuming, again, wanting those traits to be uh, true. Uh, but then they're like, no, no, you have to make sure. I took the test, came out the other side, also a Ravenclaw. I was like, yo, this is fucking amazing. It, it changed my life. I was like, I was staring at this thing like, yes. So th- the reason that that exists, it has to be number two. Now, Star Wars, uh, also very important. But it, so, but it has to be behind Harry Potter in that regard. Because uh, first of all, you have seven amazing uh, novels, and each one gets better. I mean, the seventh was, you know, kind of ended. And you know, there's a lot of Deus Ex Machina in that, which is a bit problematic. But um, Star Wars has not fucking lived up to uh, the hype of the other ones. It just, it just hasn't. Um, and there are people that uh, grew up with Star Wars that are thinking like I'm fucking retarded, and they're like Harry Potter's for kids, and <laughs> and and who are you, man? Anyway, <laughs> uh, but you know, Star Wars is very important. It was the first uh, blockbuster. Some people debate that it may have been Jaws. I like to say it was um, the first, uh, you know, A New Hope, Episode Four, technically, but the first Star Wars released. Very important. A uh, very very important for uh, sci-fi culture as well as we know it but uh them's the breaks you know i i'm, I'm recording this twice i i messed up uh i had a whole diatribe about george lucas doesn't seem after pro now but i'll just say star wars is number three but there's plenty of things that is uh greater than this is just a, a ranking of three things and if we we're to rank everything this would probably still be the top three and then you would have everything else star wars is still better than all those things but it's not better than the other two and again them's the breaks all right the next uh dm is from my boy phil the mma dude co-host of the split decision podcast at phil the mma dude go and give him a follow and uh, his question is this. What's next for Edmund after such a devastating setback? Will he ever be a top five fighter? Or do you think Ronda's quit when things get tough? Belief system has rubbed off on him too much. And Phil, I love this question. Because first of all, I think the narrative about Ronda's mentality uh, is a little bit miswritten in the sense that uh, MMA fans really like to focus on her title reign and people love to build stars up to tear them down. And Ronda set herself up for that in a big way. I mean, her persona was like a bully. Uh, she even like played the victim at times when, with like Misha Tate and Brian Caraway. And fucking like the whole season with Tough with Misha was just like, ugh. I mean, so fucking, she's a bit insane actually. But um, she set herself up to be torn down when things didn't go her way. And I mean, she got beat the fuck up and left. 
but I think she also was smart to get out when she did in terms of like she, her star was never going to be that high. And she tried coming back against Amanda Nunez, got wrecked again. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, but, but, but I wanted to say in regards to that mentality, it goes deeper than that because it, it kind of all, I think, revolves around her the toxic, and I do mean toxic, relationship with her mother uh, and Demars, I want to say. I mean, there's just so much fucked up things in that. Um, that I don't want to go into is I don't pretend to know anything about their dynamic, but what's what's public that we know, pretty fucked up. And uh, just with the whole Olympic judo thing, very fucked up. And so in regards to that, even though Edmund kind of grew up in this gym and was a part of Ronda's camps for a while and stuff like that, I don't think that that is in him. So first of all, I, I do think it's important. I mean, uh, you heard in the corner... Coach Edmund Tarverdian. It's hard because Coach Edmund, there's a D on the end, and Edmund Shabazzian is Edmund. It's kind of a different, very slightly different pronunciation. Um, they were speaking Armenian. Um, and so Edmund, although he has good English, um, he still has an accent. He still um, grew up uh, speaking Armenian. And I can tell you from living in L.A. and uh, working in an industry that has a fair amount of Armenians in it, uh, their mentality is different. That that is not like Ronda's quit when things get tough mentality. First of all, I think it's important to to note he is only what twenty two. Uh, that's just off the top of my head. Don't fact check me, but uh, the kid's young as fuck, and he's only gonna get better. I think it was good for him to have this fight because it slows his role a little bit. People were talking about Edmund defeating Izzy. Are you fucking high, dude? Hey, man, if you thought Edmund Shabazian had a chance right now of beating Israel Adesanya. Go take a hike, okay? Anyway, um, no. But listen, uh, I tweeted out, I said the Edmund hype train is slowing down. I think a, a, a large amount of people had, had tweeted something similar. What I meant was the people that are, the kind of people that like to hype people like that also like to abandon. I'm not that guy. And I wasn't necessarily hyping him up that high. Like I said, uh, never thought he would be champion I, under the current circumstance, not never, but I never thought he would be uh, like make him run for the title right now. I knew he he needs more development, and so um, I don't think that necessarily has to stop. I think he's still good. I think he still can beat a fair amount of that division. Um, one one eighty five is just a little tough right now, and I think it's also credit to Brunson uh, not being uh, the stepping stone that people think he is. Um, I do want to say this also. Um, Brunson is more skilled than he fights sometimes. He has more skills than he shows. Um, and I'm, I was glad that he had a performance like this to show that. Uh, I think uh, I think Brunson versus versus Till, if that happens, or, or Hermanson, is going to be wild. Uh, really looking forward to that. I only say that because that's what people are calling for. He tweeted it. You know, it seems like they generally go follow those trends, but um, it can very well not that he could fight fucking Kelvin Gastelum or like Marvin Vittori, like way out of left field, you know? Um, fucking A. But uh, great, great, uh, great question, Phil. Uh, and then the next question I have is from my good friend Scott Nolan at Scott Nolan 11. He says, Juice. Hope you and the fam are doing well. We've been praying for the little kid and y'all. 
Thank you so much, Scott. It really means a lot to me. Um, and then he says, first, let me preface by saying I really hope Mike Perry meant his tweet last night and is trying to better himself. I do have my doubts, and and if that felt kind of like he and his manager were sitting around. He was like, hey, we got to clean up your image. Let me think up this tweet. And what's a cool, fairly ambiguous word that will click with MMA people? Us. Cool. Send tweet. Interested to hear your thoughts. Appreciate you, brother. Hope you all are doing great and staying safe up there. Now, this is important. I want to read Mike's tweet and uh, and then sort of give my thoughts on it. Uh, so he said, I want to be a better role model for my family, for my unborn son, my queen, at Latori underscore G, and for myself so I can earn the respect I deserve. To my sponsors and my bosses at the UFC, I want to apologize for how my actions have impacted our relationships. I will be better all around. Hashtag us. And this is where this, the question stems from. Because I I tweeted something that, that caused a discussion between Scott and I about that word. And, uh, you know, G had asked about it as well. I sent a, a, a quick screenshot from, from Google about the word. It's pretty ambiguous and it can mean different things. But it's also been skewed. And so uh, Scott sent me a really great article that he had found. And uh, we talked about it a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to just quote someone else's work um, in that regard. Like, I'm not going to read it on the podcast. But it's worth uh, it's worth looking through. And I'm going to tweet it out after this uh, because I think it's, uh, it's good to read for people to know how slightly problematic that is. Um, firstly, uh, I don't believe you, Mike. I do think, like Scott said, I do think this is... Um, cleverly worded it's it's pr 101 it's not something that's uh um I, I, I don't feel it's genuine i mean he probably is coming from a good place mike perry has said before like you know i he's said things before that make me think that he does want to change and that he is a a, a free thinking person um like he started i think he has a tattoo that says god's gift and he, and he said that he like really believes in god and then he had uh, another interview at one point, this is, I'm going back like earlier in his career. I think it was before the Max Griffin fight where he said, I've realized I have to be open to the possibility that maybe there is no God. And that, that to me shows growth. That to me shows like wanting to, uh, expand on ideas other than what you were raised on, which can sometimes be a little bit closed minded. However, as of late, the way Mike has been acting, uh, I do not feel this is someone who thinks they need to change. Uh, obviously you know, they say this, I mean, sometimes I think it's true when, when you're, um, in a situation where you're about to become a parent for the first time, that changes everything. I mean, even, even the, um, the child isn't born yet, but like, I think that son is going to be a positive, uh, you know, influence on Mike's life. I hope, you know, hopefully he's looking at this as a way to turn himself around. However, here's where it gets, uh, you know, dicey. The us. Let me tell you something. Um, when I um, when I was training martial arts in high school, my instructor was a former Marine, and so he would have us say like everything like "Yes, sir." Uh, when you do in like traditional uh, martial arts in like regular dojos, they tend to like have you like count in Japanese and. Uh, I mean, depending on the art, sometimes it's Korean or, or Chinese or whatever, but you count in there, you learn the tech, some of the techniques. You hear a lot of uh, BJJ people say, like, oh, the Ashigarami, like, that comes from Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, I believe. Um, he would have to say, yes, sir. But then he hosted a seminar one time where this guy who also 
was um, a former Marine who was stationed in Okinawa, he would say something and he would say, us. And I, I heard a lot of the uh, the people respond. Even before he said that a lot of the people that kind of were, I think, from, from his dojo that came, they would say us as well. And to me, I just thought it was just sort of like, uh, sort of a, that a version of yes, sir, kind of, or like a show of respect that you would say to, to your teacher, like us. And after reading this article uh, that Scott sent me, I wish I had learned more about it back then because uh, it has history um, in, the I think, the Japanese Navy back in the 40s. And, and again, I'll tweet this so you guys can read. It, it's, it's really interesting. Um, but it's kind of a combination of two different Japanese kanji. And the meaning has got a little bit diluted. And again, because of the combination, because of the origin, it sort of has been distorted and means different things. But the, at the crux of it, it's sort of like a machismo thing. And it's like you know, the warrior mentality. So for, for Mike to say, I want to be a better man for my son after uh, you know having these altercations with drunken people in public where he's just like clipping fools and to say us after that, done match hey mike learn what that word means other than the fact that it, you heard it in jujitsu class and i used to think that that was like a traditional martial arts thing and i, I heard a lot of pe people that do bjj say that as well and then i saw a tweet once just going back like probably three or four years um vinnie magliesh had a tweet that was like what the fuck does us mean i've never used that don't use it uh it means nothing to me or something like that I, like i i literally like that made me question things at that time um, as far as like what are people saying you know what I mean so words have meaning and um, Mike Perry is my, as far as I'm concerned guilty until proven innocent because here's the thing dude I want I want to make this clear as well uh, I've been having uh, you know discussions with people on the timeline about uh, Brian Callen and, and things of that nature uh, if you guys know I, I, I spent a good portion of, of, of this podcast talking about the news that came out with Chris D'Elia and uh, Brian Callen's like his one of his best friends and he's kind of in that circle. Well, Chris D'Elia was quote-unquote exonerated of, of, of those charges, uh, but for me, I did not exonerate him. I did not. Uh, because I had, there's a very clear line for me between the court of law and the court of public opinion. And just because a judge clears you of charges based on some free evidence, for me, does not relieve of, of intent of, of other things that he was in that that's those situations to begin with. It was predatory behavior exhibited, and I'm not fucking tolerating it, dude. And so for, for, for then Brian Kellen to come out and, and have allegations against him that are even more serious, um, and some of the stories that have come out, like, why aren't we believing these women? Like, that to me... It, is guilty until proven innocent for the accuser or sorry the, the accused and the accuser is innocent until proven guilty i would rather be wrong about it being true than be wrong about it being not true you know and that's what i feel about mike perry guilty until proven innocent bro actions speak louder than words and ever since I, I've turned my Twitter account and my, uh, and my podcast into a platform for you know, speaking out against social injustice, uh, and there's, a, there's a thing that uh, goes around where people sometimes view certain things as performative allyship. I never want to be painted with that brush. I never want to be put in that category. I do believe actions speak louder than words and that 
uh, it's important to follow through on what you say and not just make a tweet and hashtag it us thinking you're fucking exonerated and that people are going to view you as a changed man. You are at best a work in progress. And so that's how I feel about uh, Mike Perry. So, um, in the words of the great Max Holloway, it is what it is. Uh, so now I want to I segue into the uh, voice questions. The first one is from my main man, Ricky. Take it away. Hey, Juicy Baby. Long time no talk. Hope you're doing well, boy. Anyway, my question is... If you were to actually have a fight in the UFC, how would, could you possibly win? And who would it be against? Someone you hate. <laughs> Cheers, bro. Have a good one. <laughs> Great question, Ricky. Shout out to, uh, to Tricky Ricky. Love that guy. Um, I'll tell you this. I've, I've said before, <laughs> and I feel bad because he now kind of redeemed himself um i'm starting to 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 turn turn around on this guy i'm starting to turn the corner on this guy um julian arosa for fucking stealing my nickname and he was annoying as fuck on tough dude i was like i can't have this guy representing the juice brand you can't be calling juicy j because it's the other thing like i i say my name is juice i don't say it's my nickname i prefer to be referred as juice or juicy um like my wife calls me juice only call me Aaron if she's mad at me. Um, so that's it, dude. And my last name is Jackson, so I was like, oh, it's Juicy J. And this motherfucker uh, it just has a J initial, and he's like, oh, I'm Juicy J. And I understand, like, this is whole nickname culture in MMA. Like, you can't give yourself a nickname, and then you have to fucking have, a, have some story. And I'm sure one of his coaches are like, oh, this guy's like Juicy J. And, like, whatever the fuck. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. So, um... I'm going to fight him in an open weight bout. And I'm going to come in a lean 270. And when I say lean, I obviously mean the opposite of lean. Um, and uh, I'm just going to lay on him. And I'm going to fucking not get choked out, hopefully. Because he's got pretty good submissions. And I'm not going to get knocked out on the feet because mm, your boy's got a chin. And uh, I'm going to win by smother. That's it. Thank you, Ricky. You're the man. What's going on, you bunch of fucking casual juice heads? Well, that fight card wasn't too bad. Um, my question for you this week, Juice, is uh, who's next for Vicente Luque? He called out Nate Diaz, but come on. Nate ain't taking that fight. There's no fucking way Nate's taking that fight. Let's be realistic. Come on. So, who do you think is next for him? Fucking love the way this guy fights, man. He has really evolved into an amazing fighter. So, that's my question for you. Sorry. There's a skunk walking over back here. Guess he must smell my weed. Thinks it's his cousin. Because you know it's always 420. Peace. Jim is wild. I love it. Shout out to Jim. If you don't follow Jim soon, get the fuck off Twitter. Like, he's the man. Um, 
want to be like him when I fucking grow up. Love you, Jim. And look, here's the thing. I'm so glad you brought this up uh, because I'm not kind of doing a whole fight by fight recap anymore. And I wanted to say the prelims on this card were not good, dude. Um, I I kind of don't like the. Uh, I'm sort of so, I'm I'm always this is why the fucking name of the podcast is fighting with myself because whenever there's like two warring things, I sometimes I sit right in the middle and I kind of go back and forth because I I I do hate the the mentality of of MMA Twitter uh, and just, just general hardcore fans being like, um, you know, oh let's appreciate the art and and let's. You know, always watch the prelims and, and things like that. Well, first of all, I always watch the prelims. That, that's that's not what I'm saying. We're just saying, like, people say, oh, some of the best fights are in the prelims. Yeah, sometimes. These ones were trash, dude. And then there's the other half that are, like, that think it's cool to, like, shit on a card for no reason, especially before it happens, which is, like, who, fuck, how dare you? You haven't even seen these fights yet, and you're shitting on it. And and so for me, I was, like, I was watching these fights going, like, bro, like, way too many dick kicks. Uh, way too many weird decisions. These fucking those prelims were not it. But then the main card, aside from Trevin Giles and uh, and that was the other thing I, I think I forgot to to mention at the at the top. Trevin Giles versus Kevin Hollow was canceled due to Trevin Giles fainting, uh, which is at at the moment I think they're saying it was his anxiety spiking. Uh, but he said he still wanted to fight. It was just he he couldn't get medical cleared after being fainted. So, um, pretty crazy story there. And then Luke, man. Thank God you asked this question, Jim. That was a wasted call-out. Bro, like, there, there's there's shooting your shot, and then there's wasting a fucking shot. He threw away his shot. He clearly is not seeing Hamilton. But, bro, th- that's not it. Nate Diaz is not getting off the couch for fucking anybody, dude. Anybody that's not going to make him $3 million minimum per fight. Like, he is so strategic. I, th- I don't think that gets... Uh, like enough credit he was ready to go after the fucking second connor fight he could have fought in months and they offered him several fights they offered him the tyron woodley fight which he when when, when tyron was the champion i think which he agreed to until someone at the oc said whoa 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 this is the fucking stupidest idea in history let's not have this fight happen of course not and then probably couldn't put together enough money as well he's probably demanded like five million dollars and then he waited and waited until pettis who he had history with Knocked out Wonder Boy and took his rank, and all of a sudden Pettis is a ranked welterweight. Nate Diaz, a lightweight who doesn't like to cut weight, thought, "Let me fight Pettis and set myself up to fight fucking George Masvidal." I'm sorry, Jorge Masvidal. He was calling him George Masvidal. That was the fucking so strategic. And so, do you think Nate Diaz is gonna get off the couch to fight Vicente Luque, a guy who probably is gonna murk him? No. And I, I, I know there's a lot of Diaz fans who would love to see that fight, and they think your boy can win, but I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Yeah, wasted call-out. It was like when fucking Mickey Gall called out Dan Hardy. Like, are you kidding me? No. No, 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 no way. No way. That's a stupid call-out. Fuck you, Vicente Luque. Wasted that call. Why don't you call out someone like Eliseo Dos Santos, who's going to give you a fucking barn murder? Why don't you call out fucking Michael Chiesa, I don't know. Not Nate Diaz. Oh, if we go by the rankings. Bro, you know the rankings mean shit. The rankings don't mean shit, dude. If we go by the rankings, like, no. 
No. There's only been one call like that where I thought it was justified. And it was the way he framed it. It was Ally Aquinta. Uh, after he fought Habib, he could, not like in the cage or whatever, obviously, or post a press conference, or maybe in press conference, but he was in an interview with Ariel afterward. And he was like, uh, he said, you know, I think I should fight Connor next. Uh, he was like, if Connor wants, wants his shot, he has to get past me. I'm the guy. If I understand, like, I don't make sense from, like, a money perspective or ranking, but if it's about the sport of it, I'm the guy. And just the way he phrased it, it was such a, like, rocky, like, underdog story kind of mentality. I was like, fuck yeah, get behind him. Like, you got to get the people behind you. You can't just say, like, like call-outs can't come from anybody that hasn't called out anybody before. And you can't be the guy that's, like, the company man fighting everybody and then called out Nate Diaz. And I understand fighters want to get paid. Like, things like this are always a cry for money. And I don't mean cry unless I'm shaming, like I'm shaming them. People need to fucking speak out against fighter pay. Like, fighters need to speak out against it, not fucking me. And so, I want to see Vicente Luque make bank. I want to see him make all the money. I want to see him beat the shit out of Nate Diaz on national television for fucking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because we all know they're not going to pay millions like Nate Diaz would make. And it just so happens that Vicente Luque doesn't understand. Like, yes, the hardcores love him. We fucking love Vicente Luque. The man takes any fight. He will fucking give us, like, he will donate his brain cells for our entertainment. That fucking Barbarina fight, unreal. The both Nico Price fights, amazing. The guy is is a world-class fighter, and he fights and beats the shit out of world-class fighters. But you don't call for a money fight like that with a guy who doesn't want to fight. It was a waste. Like if he had if he had said, "I want to fight fucking Michael Kiesa. He's a blown up lightweight that uh, does not deserve his ranking, and uh, I'm gonna beat the shit out of him." I would have been like, "Oh, dude!" Even though I like Mike Kiesa, I would have been like, "Oh, fuck yeah, dude! That's the seed. That's the fucking seed." Not Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is never the seed for a fucking random welterweight. Pissing me off. Anyway, uh, thank you, Jim. This is an amazing question. Hey, Juice, what up? It's Gina from G-Spot MMA and from the WOCast. Yo, my question is pretty simple. What do you think of Jessica Andrade making her flyweight debut against Jessica I? The UFC is uh, trying to put this fight together possibly in October. What are your thoughts on this? And do you think Jessica I stands a chance against her? Love the show, love you, and I'll see you on the timeline. I'll see you in the wild, bro. Yes. Amazing question, G. Much love to you. You guys, go check out the WoCast if you haven't already. Um, the shit is amazing, uh, especially since G made her triumphant return. Uh, everything they do is great. And uh, I believe the next, well, no, two questions. We have another member of the WoCast. Um joining the forum super psyched about that but gee great question uh i totally forgot about this matchup that got announced and i'm so pumped for it listen jessica andrage started in the ufc at 135 there was no 125 and there was no 115 and then there was a 115 and she still was at 135 i think it was until she she got a loss i think when she came in the ufc um she beat raquel pennington 
I think it was a split decision. And and then Raquel finished her in the rematch. Um, she had another, she had a few more um, notable wins in between. Um, but um, that caused her to go down to 115, where she beat the fuck out of Jessica Penne. And so once she got used to that weight cut, I think she was doing work in 115, but she's still like a tweener. Like, she still needs that 125 division. Like, if I'm honest, I was shocked when the 125 division opened that she didn't all immediately move up. Uh, like, I'm trying to think of the timing of it. Like, had she already lost to Ioana for the title? Like, the 125 feels new, but it also feels storied in a way. Like, it, it's... These divisions are crazy. Should have been there from the beginning. Anyway, uh, super psych. Obviously, Jessica used to be a bantamweight, and uh, also because that her weight class didn't exist yet, and uh, has, has you know been a contender at 125, whatever that means to you. Um, I think Jessica Andrade is going to beat the fuck out of her. Like uh, Jessica I's best aspect is her grappling, and I don't think she can out grapple Jessica Andrade. Now. I also did not think Jessica I would be able to handle Viviani Arujo. And she fucking did work against Arujo. So who knows, dude? This is the thing. Jessica I can have a performance where um, she gets worked by um, a blown-up strawweight in Cynthia Calvillo. And then she can have a performance like uh, she did against... Like I said, Araujo. I also doubted her against uh, Chukagian, and she she pulled it off. I think I even doubted her against uh, Jessica Rose, Jesse Jess, uh, Jessica Rose Clark. So uh, I think this is going to be a really interesting fight. Am I leaning on Draj? Obviously, yeah, heavily. I said that, but um, don't count this guy just yet. Yeah, she's cringy. <laughs> You know, I think it seems like a random matchup. And I, and if you follow like the Twitter and the podcast, you think that I'm probably fucking front or whatever. But like my tweet, I was like, sometimes I think these matchmakers are just like throwing darts at a dartboard with faces on them and, and whatever sticks are like, oh, yeah, bet. Let's do uh, Jess Guy versus Andrage. Here we go. Evil. <laughs> but, yo, the more I think about it, I don't hate it. Um like, Jessica Andrade has always been, uh, you know, measured in her career. Like, she had the opportunity to get a title shot after two fights in that division because she was fucking murking these girls and thought she was marketable. She said, I want another fight, and they gave her Angela Hill, who has a similar style to Joanna, Young Jacek, who was the champ at the time, uh, in that she's a very Muay Thai dominant. And she's like, you know what? Let me let me see if I can get past the style, and if, if that's the case, I know I'm ready for the champ. Obviously, she wasn't. She did have a fight of the year, maybe not that year, but it was a fucking amazing fight against Angela Hill. Wow, if you haven't seen that fight, go watch it. Angela Hill's a queen, obviously. Um, and then uh, Jessica got worked by Joanna, but uh, she she does those sort of things. So the fact that she's a former champion um, at strawweight moving up, I think Jessica I is the perfect fight for her because... You know, you have someone who's a proven commodity and is a contender, but also is very beatable. And this is this is a good thing. Um, that that uh, that path is um, the path to the title is there for Jessica Andrade. She fought JoJo at 115. Uh, I could see a rematch at 125. I really do. I think she uh, I think she had jo- JoJo in a tight ass guillotine. Um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. That fight, uh, I think they should run it back if if she beats uh, if 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 she beats this guy, that would be wild. So, great question, G. Thank you.
Hey, Juice, it's Judah. Hey, what's up, Juice? This is Dave Fretz at Dave Fretz on and at Solo Shoes on Twitter and Instagram. Got a question for you today. Um, it's been a really interesting time with the COVID, and we're getting a look at a lot of different forums and places for the UFC, uh, other promotions just getting started again. Um, <clears throat> I'm just kind of wondering if you could change, add, uh, take away any three things to the sport of MMA to improve it, what, they, what would they be? So you could change, you could add, you could take away, you could do a mix of all these. Um, we've seen the, the change in the size of the octagon um, at the apex, kind of really like that one. So yeah, anything like that, uh, judging, whatever. Uh, yeah, sound off, man. Oh, you know I'm going to sound off. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Amazing question. What's up, Judah? You're the man as well. Love Judah the um, unofficial mascot for Combat Sports of Rhino. And, yo, this is a great question. So um, right off right off the bat, my first thing would be to clearly identify whether or not the fighters are independent contractors or are they employees. Are they 1099 or are they W-2? Um, that to me is really important. And especially, I mean, other other promotions is clear they operate as you know independent contractors, and that's fine. Um, but the UFC blurs the lines, and I'm okay with whatever it is as long as we stick to it. The UFC treats their fighters like employees, but they hang their hat on the fact that they're independent contractors. So it, they only lean on that when it benefits them. They're like, oh well, you got to remember these are independent contractors. Not the way you treat them, dude. Independent contractors can do whatever the fuck they want. They can take their services elsewhere. You have them locked in. Like, there's so many things that are problematic about that whole discussion, and it needs to be defined. Like, in the earlier days of of, of MMA, people would go to fight with different promotions all the time. I think we need to see more more of that, to be honest with you. Now that things are more defined, now that the right amount of eyes are on the sport, you know, can you imagine if fucking... Uh, like Kamar Usman was like, I think I want to beat up on Douglas Lima right now. And they called up Scott Coker and made it happen. Can you imagine that? By the way, I think Douglas Lima would work uh, Kamara Usman. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, what if Kamara wanted to do that? That would make the sport so much more fucking exciting. Like, that clear definition, if it was, if it was, you know, it went in the way of independent contractor and we really, we really stuck to that and we really defined that, that would fix so many things because, A, like I said, prom- cross-promotion fights would happen way more often. If nothing else, fighters would have the ability to go make it happen on their own without the UFC, without their promoter. Um, and also, it would eliminate... the other, One of the other things that would change... So I'm, this kind of is like a loophole. It's not kind of as my third. That would eliminate the fucking Reebok slash now it's the Venom deal. No uniforms in fucking MMA, dude. We don't need that. We don't need that. That limits their earning potential and it limits their personality, which also limits their earning potential. There's so many things that are problematic about that deal. Um, So that's number one. And number two would be uh, the judging. As I said, I think uh, our sport needs to embrace the idea of change. Uh, I was was thinking about this when they started the show last night. Like they said, as a reminder, Nevada has uh, adopted the new set of unified rules with the exception of whatever. So, 
first of all, the fact that they have to say that everything is is already a problem. The fact that we don't have a consistent rule set um, is a problem. Secondly, the new set of unified rules, I'm pretty sure that was adopted in like 2017, maybe 2016, maybe 2018, around that time. It shouldn't be called the new set anymore. There should just be... These are the fucking rules, man. We changed. Because there are some commissions that are on the old set. They haven't adopted the new rules. And it's like, why is that even an option? Why did you give these fucking commissions an option? Like, why are we putting... We have given the keys to the kingdom to the people who run the DMV. That's a Luke Thomas quote. And you can hate on Luke Thomas all you want. Sometimes he fucking spits facts. We have given too much power to these commissions. And the commissions are a government body. And the government is full of bureaucracy and bullshit. And things that are impacting the growth of our sport. We have a judging criteria that was adopted from boxing. The 10-point must model is antiquated. It does not properly, um, it doesn't suit MMA. So my first, uh, or my second thing would be to change uh, the judging. It would be to change, um, the, I would get rid of the 10-point must system, and I would adopt a, a system which... I got to say, this is why I say our sport needs to embrace the idea of change. I don't have all the answers. We need to try a different judging system until we feel uh, something that works better because round by round is not it. Pride had the idea to judge out the fight as a whole, like who did more damage. Like Pride rules judging is better in my opinion. It's not perfect, but it's better than the 10-point must system. So for now, I'll go with that, and I would I would say let's work to, to come up with something better. Um, because I really, I really do think the round by round system enables point fighting. That said, my other thing would be to change what is legal. Um, I believe uh, we need to bring back soccer kicks. We need to bring back grounded knees. Um, anything that's a, a legit martial arts, tech, martial arts technique, even fucking headbutts. Now, that's an, I know that's a bit controversial. I think they have that on left way. Um, obviously, um, that's a bit problematic, but I, it goes back to what I've said before. When you have these things uh, legalized, it uh, allows you to game plan for them, for de- defending them. You're more because pre- right now people open themselves up to groin kicks because they know that groin kicks are illegal, and if they get one, they'll get a rest for five minutes. And so, if they're like, like I've never seen anyone get kicked in the groin that was winning the fight, and. Uh, and took the whole five. You know what I mean? It's to disrupt the flow if you're losing. So I get a chance to regroup if you're gassing. Things like that. So uh, gotta gotta legalize some of that stuff. Not everything. Obviously, like eye pokes, like that's a fucking first of all, like not a legit martial arts technique in my opinion, and it's also like damage the retina. But like so, like there's just been this whole debate recently about the fucking oblique kick to the knee legalize it i think it was i mean obviously it is legal now but the fact that people are calling it for to be banned is fucking terrible because first of all um that's a legit technique as well and secondly uh, i think it was ryan span who uh who tweeted this out he was like knee bars do the same amount of damage if not worse and no one's crying about knee bars like thank you i mean really so yeah i would i would opt for for uh, a different rule set that allows for for more things to happen and honestly if we want to talk about the fucking 10 point must system being antiquated i would even do away with rounds you get ready to fight for 15 minutes 
without stopping or you get ready to fight for fucking uh 25 minutes if you're fighting for a title because here's the thing dude sometimes the rounds affect bad ref calls as we saw last night with herb dean stopping that fight he didn't stop it because he knew the round was ending he was about to he was you knew that the bell would save edmund and he could possibly go in for a third round people have made comebacks it's not uh the stranger things have happened you know but that was a bad call because of that reason if we didn't have rounds he would have kept going brunson would have got the finish uh i mean obviously he got it but he got it sooner like i hate uh round breaks I think, again, I think it's it's a boxing model that works for boxing, and it needs to stay in boxing. What's up, my man? I'm sorry if I'm late, but last night was real. Anyway, here's my question. I just saw the Tanner Bowser is scheduled to fight Andre Arlovsky, and it's great that a lot of these fighters are being active throughout this time, but do you think that there's a fine line to draw with how active you are during this time? I know that... Eventually, it catches up to what we saw with Cowboy, we saw with Neil Magny, we saw with a lot of people. But, you know, that's just my opinion. How do you feel on the subject and how do you think Tanner fares in this fight? I think he wins no matter what, though. Yes. Great question. First of all, go check out the WoCast. Kairos is a, is a big part of that these days. I, I do miss Kairos YouTube, Kairos's YouTube channel. Uh, not that it doesn't exist, but uh, the most recent video is the Fight Island song. Uh, I just checked. Um Cause I was like, am I, have I been missing his content? No. Um, yo, so bring that back. Um, and, and, and let me say this, this is a great question. So the, the activity, like right now we're in a time where a lot of fighters are capitalizing on the, the number of events that they're having. Like in some cases it's two per week and there are, there's a large portion of the roster that is unavailable due to either their own personal beliefs about the virus, uh, where, where it'd be like maybe the country they're located in has travel restrictions, things like that. They don't have a proper camp because of the restrictions on gyms being open, and they don't want to put themselves in a position to uh, you know fight without a camp. They don't want to be at a disadvantage. But you have guys like Tanner Bozer uh, who are capitalizing on that, and um and chamayev and all obviously all these other guys that are just going like boom 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 let me get these fights in and that's great honestly it used to happen um uh, a lot in the beginning of the sport because there was like i said there was different promotions that there weren't like restrictive contracts people would just fight all the time like you said eventually that's gonna catch up to you and it goes back to my mentality like i don't like the view when, when when people take a mindset that works for uh regular sports and apply it to mma like when people are so protective of their record mma there are so many ways to lose it you know a loss does not hurt your stock in my opinion most of the time or at least it's not like guaranteed to hurt your stock for for tanner bozer eventually he's gonna lose and it's not like the what I was gonna say also to, to, to my other point, you know, to kind of play devil's advocate, a loss in MMA could mean, like, depending on how bad it is, could mean, you know, it affect it'll affect your health. It could, you know, you could be not the same moving forward. So, in that sense, it worries me because, you know, heretofore, you know, fighters that take fights on short notice 
and lose, it does not go their way. Now, you have sometimes people who, like, stay ready, stay in the gym, stay in shape, and capitalize on a short-notice opportunity. That's kind of what he's doing. However, uh, like you said, eventually that's going to catch up to you. You can't win them all, and you're putting yourself at a, at a more disadvantage when you t- the more you take. So um, I think this is a case of, again, the UFC not paying their fighters to sit out. Like, the UFC needs their own version of unemployment. This is the problem. Like, you have people right now, and I'm going to get a little bit political for a second. You have people right now who are um, shaming people who are uh, collecting unemployment because they're like, oh, you're lazy, you're not contributing to society, you're taking money from the government. What you don't understand is we're in a situation where the government should be paying us to stay home. We shouldn't have to work right now while the virus is going on. And I, I applaud essential workers, and I myself am back to work. And um, it is is necessary for our economy to, to, to get back on its feet. But people are dying. Like, COVID is no fucking joke. So normalize unemployment. Normalize paying the fighters to fucking sit out when you're a billion-dollar company. You fucking Scrooge McDuck, Dana White, human thumb-looking ass. Fuck Dana White, man. Okay. Um, anyway, thank you, Kairos. Great. Great question. Hey, what's up, Juice? I am a thousand percent sure this is super late, but that card was okay. Fuck my picks entirely. It's like I've never watched the sport before. I've eaten a mushroom and I'm down by the river. Uh, Since five o'clock yesterday, I've kicked three separate adult men in the ass over our... uh, murky mask policies i don't know if i was right or wrong but that's fucking what's going on glad i'm by the river love you fuckers take it easy this right here dude this right here dude might be top five favorite voice submissions i've had on this show that was incredible i'm eating mushrooms by the lake i've kicked Crone men in the ass over the mask policy. I mean, I stand. Decrons, I stand. <laughs> give yourself a round of applause, sir. And anyone listening, give give this man a round of applause. That was fucking great. And you thought it was late, but um, I was late. So you were fucking on time. And I love it, bro. This is amazing. And it's it's so funny. He, he used to. As many times as as Decrons has has made it to the forum, that same number of times he's also like messaged me, "Hey man, is it too late?" While I was recording, didn't see it, and then I was like, "It's never too late. Just just send it, and if I can include next week, I will." Uh, like that was amazing. Glad you sent it without asking. I'm glad it made the fucking podcast. Um, I don't know if there's anything to answer. It's funny you said you said fuck my picks, and um, the next. Um, voice uh submission i'm gonna play is says uh it's titled fmp for fuck mike perry but this is fuck my picks so fmp to to you (laughs) that's so funny yes uh i I gotta be on that level it's so funny i recently like i don't like to talk about this too often on the podcast because i don't want this to be just like a fucking stoner culture podcast but sometimes it has to be right um i recently got a um a THC tincture where it's like sublingual you put it on the tongue like blueberry flavor and I'm like so mixed about it I wish it was stronger um the first time I took it it kicked in like an hour later like an edible does second time I took it it kicked in three hours later I was like what is this and it like knocked me on my ass it was so for like 
you know um you know the word uh well not just the word but like the feeling of hysteria when you talk about hysteria um someone can be in hysterics if they're laughing or if they're crying it's a fine line like you can be so hysterical that something um that makes you cry all, all of a sudden makes you laugh or vice versa like you can just be at that level and sometimes that's how i fucking live my life man and i was I was laying down, this is when I was during my quarantine, my wife walked by, said something that made me sad, and I started to get emotional, but the first thing that came out was laughter, and I, because I was so high, it was like right when the shit hit, and I was just like, ah! I started laughing, I was like, why are you laughing? It was wild, and that's kind of where I imagine you're at, D. Kronz. Love this guy, go follow D. Kronz on Twitter, amazing stuff, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> All right, uh, this next uh, voice mission, like I said, it's from the homie MMA Catfish, and it's entitled FMP. Hey, you juicy baby, it's MMA Catfish. I haven't had a chance to watch the fights yet due to being on a pretty epic mountain bike ride in the dark last night. However... I did see the bullshit comments from Dana White that fighters who showed will not get their show money. When are the fighters going to get tired of his bullshit and actually take a stance? Wait, let me tell you when. Um, Sadly, it's going to be never. Fucking bullshit. Fuck Dana White. And while we're on the topic of people that I think can go fuck themselves, I'd still like to say F-M-P. Say it louder for the people in the back. Yes, to everything you just said. Um, and, and here's the problem with this. There's a couple of things. So it goes back to what I said about them being, you know, the UFC toes the line between employees and independent contractors. Because there's a certain level where they take advantage of that, and that's what you're seeing there. The way the contracts are set up, they don't have to uh, they don't have to pay the fighters if they don't fight. Now, the show money is um, usually they say if you make weight, then you can get the show money in those situations. Um, so in their eyes, they're being generous because they don't have to pay the show money at that point for, for some of those. So, um, I don't, I didn't go in depth to it. Um, and what you're talking about is, is, um, uh, a reporter, and I don't know their name, but they asked, uh, Dana White if, um, if the fighters were going to be compensated and he said that they'll get some money. It won't be, you know, the, the show money, but it'll be some money. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of them a little bit, which is like, Hey man, that's just bare minimum. Like, already what the fighters make, first of all, it's a show-win pay structure, which is, again, antiquated, terrible. Uh, they're not fucking, like, you know, like bar- barbarians that have to, like, go out there and fight for the other half of their paycheck. Like, they're going to all give it give it their all regardless, and, and you're just using that excuse to not pay them their full money. Um so you think about someone making ten and ten, you always say like, oh well, they're making twenty thousand only if they win, dude, and if they don't, they're making ten, and and with most of the the whatever they have in place with their coaches and managers, fifty percent of that goes away, because you have like ten percent of the manager, ten percent of the coaches, 
10% to the training partners. Like that fucking, that's so problematic. Um, so, so for them to not get their full show money, I don't know what these fighters make, but a lot of the ones that fell through were not household names. So that tells me they don't make a lot. Um, really, really disappointing, really despicable stuff from Dana White. And, but like you said, it, it, it can't change unless they have collective bargaining. Unless the fighters have a seat at the table and they unionize and get the fuck on board, uh, it's not going to happen. And, and let me tell you something why. It's because not enough people can get on the same page. You have different groups that are sort of shouting under the void. Now, if those groups were to come together, things would change. The problem is like the, the people that are advocates for it are outside, like the the strong, strong advocates are outside the UFC, especially now that uh, Leslie Smith got released and she's now fighting with Bellator. Leslie Smith was working with Project Spearhead. She was working to change the way the UFC contracts work. And then you had guys like John Fitch and Randy Couture who are trying to get the MMA, uh, to get the Ali Act passed for MMA, which is just help the sport of MMA and which would eliminate some of those problems. Now, they all need to get on the same page. Like, that's the biggest problem. And there was another one. The, the guy that I thought had hope, and Leslie Smith was with this guy for a little bit. Um, I forget his name, but he was he, he was a guy that came from baseball, and he was going to get the fighters to unionize because he um, somehow looked at one of the contracts for McGregor Diaz too, and he was like, are you kidding me? Like, the kind of contract? And these are the two two of the highest-paid fighters in the sport. And he was saying these contracts are, are fucking wacky. Like I had, I was sure that guy was going to get it done. And he put his number out there. And he had fighters, UFC champions, calling him. And it never went anywhere. It's because they all were on the same page. And, and it's because the fear-mongering that exists from the UFC that if you speak out, you can get cut. They can cut you at any time. And while the UFC is corrupt and they have... Um, a lot of shit to fix. They're still better than a lot of the other promotions, and it's still better than the regional scene. So the the, the fighters aren't betting on themselves enough to to to, to unionize. It, it's it's aggravating as fuck. But um, but thank you, Mister Catfish. That's so that's such an interesting gimmick. I I, I don't even know where to begin with that. But um, I always appreciate his uh, submissions. And now we move on to the. Twitter forum. So the first one comes from the homie MMA Visual at MMA Visual. He says, "Who is the worst fighter you have ever seen in your life that had more than ten wins?" Uh, it's pretty simple, guys. Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp exists. Um, that's uh, that's for me like number one. I'm sure there are other people that would fall into this category, but those people. Are people that I like, and I wouldn't uh, want to disparage them in any way. Bob Sapp uh, is better in movies, in my opinion. I just watched. I uh, I want to give this guy a quick shout out because uh, I don't think the episode's out yet, but I I hope it is by the time I release this. I want to fucking I want people to listen to this. I did a movie podcast uh, with a guy that I uh, interacted with on Twitter. His name is Beaver Does Movies, and that's the name of the podcast. And we watched Blood and Bone with uh, with Michael J. White and Bob Sapp was in it, and. The fucking shit slapped so hard. It was so fucking good, this movie. And not in a way that I think it's like a quality piece of cinema. I just mean like part of it made me laugh at how we got ridiculous of it. And the fight scenes were fucking on point. Uh, so 
That's why it slaps. Um, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather watch Bob Sapp in fucking The Longest Yard and Blood and Bone than uh, than watch him be a fucking like involved in fights that are uh, of a fugazi nature where he taps the minute things go to the ground or whatever like fucking Bob Sapp. But he has 12 wins. Uh, I checked his record when I saw your question. Like I immediately thought of Bob Sapp. I was like, Bob Sapp has to have more than 10 wins. Sure enough, has more than 10 wins and is terrible. Um, Next question is from Pat Tobin, at Pat underscore Tobin. He says, what do you think of Dana's comments about firing anyone who approaches a judge or official? Where is the line in regards to publicly criticizing one of them being okay, but not approaching them? And which fighters would be exempt from Dana's threat? Here's the thing, dude. We already know. Because Conor McGregor, at a Bellator show in Dublin several years ago, jumped into the cage and got physical with Mark Goddard. And guess what happened to him? Dick. Not thing one happened to Conor McGregor when that happened. They pick and choose. Paul Daly hits Josh Koscheck after the bell. Gets cut from the UFC. Um, fucking Corey Anderson puts his hands on a ref. Still here. Fucking... Roy Nelson kicked Big John McCarthy, had to uh, re- release a whole statement um, to, to the Brazilian commission uh, or something like that. And then I think that that might have been his last um, UFC fight or maybe second to last, but he didn't get cut from it. It was just, it was contract was up and then he tested free agency. They made him an offer. Bellator did better, that whole thing. But they fucking, they pick and choose. And so, in regards to the question, yeah. But hey, what, 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 is, a, what is an official? Like, what does that define? Are, are, are cornermen officials? Because they have to be licensed by the commission. And Fabrice Overdoom kicked Edmund Tarverdian in the cage. Now, that was funny to me. And I'm not going to bury him for it. Because Edmund, sometimes there's a little kick. You know what I mean? But um, to, to your point... <laughs> The hypocrisy is rampant. It's it's so clear that they they have fucking different rules. Even in that same breath, when the, when this happened, they asked him about the Dan Hardy situation, and he even cut off the person who who was asking it to sound like he was so fired up about it. He was like, "Let me tell you something. Anyone who works for me, you're getting fired instantly." But then he said, "Dan Hardy is still employed." <laughs> Don't say something like that, Dana, and not fucking have it apply to everybody. And let me let me say something. I'm not advocating for, for Dan Hardy to be fired. I particularly think there, there are tons of people that hated Dan Hardy for that Twitter bullshit with that that fake account, and who are saying like, oh, uh, Dan Hardy, uh, you know, should should be whatever. I think Herb Dean was all out of line with those stoppages, and Dan Hardy had every right to call him out. Now. He's probably talking about the, the part where after the fight, when Dan Hardy was kind of like chasing after him and yelling at him, that was uncool. But to say stop the fight on the broadcast is only being talked about because there's no crowds. Loads of fighters have talked about that. They talked about the Thomas uh, Gifford-Mike Davis fight. Fucking, uh, like, there are plenty of times where I've heard DC commentate and he can be like, we can stop this fight right now. You can stop this fight right now. And it's not a problem. They were just heard because there was no crowd. And it's something that I think uh, 
they wouldn't be doing their job properly if they didn't say that. You know, you know, Paul and uh, Dan Hardy both said that because you they have perspective of being fighters and they have perspective of being actually in there and training and and they know what they're seeing. And you have Herb, who's yes, closer to the action and closer to everything, but their opinion is just as valid, in my opinion, on whether or not a fight should be stopped. But and by the way, both guys are like tough motherfuckers who don't get stopped often, and. Uh, yeah, like that, that to me is wild. So yeah, I think anyone who puts their hands on a, on a, on an official or a judge is, is terrible, but, uh, keep that same energy, Dana. Next question is from Yugi MMA. Let me tell you something. First of all, let me give a big shout out to Yugi because him and I had a, an exchange on Twitter this morning that, um, that really opened my eyes to, to sort of how, uh, like, like just certain situations where I shouldn't always be quick to kind of like jump on things. Um, he had a tweet about Joe Budden logic that I, I didn't know the backstory about what was going on. I just reacted to something he said and something that was in the thing. And we had a nice civil discussion where I saw his point and I said, you know what? I, I retract my, well, I'm really tracked, but you know, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't know the full situation. So big shout out to Yugi. I love his podcast. I poke MMA. Um, he talks a lot about MMA and has Great takes, in my opinion. Um, even though he's a massive John Jones stand, obviously I hate John Jones, but um, <laughs> he has really good takes and um, also talks about things outside of MMA, which is so important, dude. I cannot tell you how important that is uh, for for everyone to be just like in an MMA bubble is 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 not good, in my opinion. Um, he has a whole music and entertainment section, which I like. He talks about fucking pop culture and stuff, which is so good. Love Yugi, love I poke MMA. He says, are you a fan of Generation X or just a fan of the Dancing With Myself song? I've always loved that song, but I haven't listened to much of their other work. To be honest with you, uh, that's this is an interesting question. So I, I wanted to kind of tell the story of the podcast a little bit. So um, to quickly answer your question, just that song. Um, I'm a fan of Billy Idol. I did not know that that was with Generation X, um, which shows you how you know that I'm dating myself as far as like being you know just a millennial or whatever. But um, I obviously knew the song and, and knew that it would kind of go along. See, I've, I feel like I have a talent for, like, song parody lyrics because I grew up listening to Weird Al, and I'm always doing that. Like, even, like, my wife and I, um, it, when we're, uh, like, just kind of, full, like, being silly or, or even if we're in, like, an argument or whatever, um, we'll, we'll, like, sing a song parody to each other. Or it might be, like, a made-up melody, but we do that all the time. Um, and so I knew that uh, that was a gift I had. And, and um, my other podcast before uh, Fighting With Myself, I did with my buddy Andrew. Um, it was called Mixed Martial Opinions, uh, which I think is like one of the like one of my favorite names of anything. And um, we knew that we wanted a song and we, and we wanted like uh, like a solid intro. Like podcast intros are so important, even if it like I, I've, I've, I've been searching for an intro this whole time because I want a consistent one. But I also like to, to do the, the song parody stuff. It really like lets me flex my, my creative muscle. You may have noticed, by the way, that um, this episode and the other one have not had an intro. That's because I'm in search of something different. I want I want something that I can keep every time. Like I love when I listen to Ray's Oma Plus Soup. It's like, thank you for joining me for your MMA scoop. This is Ray's Oma Plata Soup. And that's the same thing every episode. And that's it, that's good. Like our, I was going to say the Mixed Martial Opinions one, we wanted someone to write us a song. We had musician friends that were like, yeah, I'll do it. And then they fucking flaked because that's what musician friends do. And some people in L.A. do. Um, and uh, we, we he cut together this thing of me 
speaking in uh, a British dialect. And I was like, thank you for joining us for Mixed Martial Opinions with Juicy and Dodson. And then that had like a piano theme in the background. And then as soon as I was done, it changed to like metal, just like stock, like whatever was public domain that he found. And he cut it together to where it was like, and kind of like went and I was like yeah dude that's the fucking vibe and so even though it kind of was born out of necessity and we wanted something else it ended up being even better than whatever probably we would have had from some flaky musician right um not that all musicians are flaky but you know what I mean um because the fucking the homie ill resolve comes through all the time with amazing stuff with the podcast like I love that guy I love his stuff anyway um and so I just, I knew that I, I could do song parody in lieu of like having actual like musical talent to put something together. And so I knew that I could do that and dancing with myself just fit the fucking vibe and it fit the lyrics to change it to fighting with myself easily. And then my goal when I first started that was to do different ones eventually. Uh, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to do different ones, but I knew that was like the the first one I should use and I just couldn't think of anything that I liked better until like later on and I think it was episode five I made a whole thread about this once and I I've I meant to keep adding to it but I stopped at one point because I felt like people didn't give a shit um episode five I someone uh challenged me to do a scouse dialect and I did the whole first segment of the show in a scouse uh uh dialect and that for to like uh keep it real or whatever i fucking sang sweet caroline as the intro uh, and that was kind of the crux of it and i didn't do anything until i think it was like episode 15 when herb dean had that terrible stoppage against gdr versus aspen lad just to tie back to how fucking fuckery um uh herb dean has been uh and i did uh, for the longest time from billy joel and since then i've been trying to come up with new ways and i i've done a bunch of new intros i did fucking in the heights and i've done the desperado from the eagles and i've done a bunch of different songs and i i just felt i lately i feel uninspired with doing that and I, and I feel like i'm not um living up to what it could be like i i'm I, I feel like i i'm audacious in doing it because i actually really hate my singing voice so i wanted to do something actually the the intro i used for the episode with tev um where it was kind of spoken word um i, I want to use something like that but i want it to be with a fucking dope ass beat and I, I need to write it to the instrumental instead of writing it first and then the instrumental later i fucking fucked up in that regard put the car before the horse and um uh, anyway, I wanted to do something different. So, um, to answer your question, just that song. So didn't need to go into that diatribe, but I did anyway because that's my brand. Uh, next question is from I always feel like I'm pronouncing this wrong. Aza or Aza or Aza, pronounce Aza Aza Aza. I feel like those are the fucking three options. Anyway, at uh, Aza underscore W twenty, he says. Is Brunson still a gatekeeper or does this elevate him? Personally, I still think he's a gatekeeper. Now, this is a good question because my problem with gatekeeper and things like that in MMA that we throw around, they are up to interpretation. Like, I, I, I learned this especially when I was listening to the Split Decision podcast and um, someone had asked a question. This is like a long time ago. It was about, like, I think it was leading up to, like, the uh, Barboza Gaethje fight or something like that. They said it's Barboza Gatekeeper. Or they were like, name the gatekeepers for each division. That might have been it, actually. And I feel like Fucky may have named Barboza. And someone was like, and Phil was like, Barboza's not a gatekeeper. And he was like, well, it depends on your criteria. And then he laid it out. I was like, well, I guess if you 
that's what you think is a gatekeeper, then yeah, he is. But for, for me personally, I think I, I like the term litmus test. I like to like a, a, someone who can test a new prospect. Brunson, with all due respect, is not going to be a champion. But that doesn't mean he can't have other notable wins past this. Like to me, like a gatekeeper is someone who has a name. And being them means something, and you give them to, to young prospects. Like, is Brunson that guy? I don't know. But I'm not by no Amy. Like, does this win elevate him? Personally, I think it does. I think it proves that he still can beat the younger, up and coming crop of the division. So, again, it depends on your definition of a gatekeeper. It, obviously, by your definition, he still is. But to me, I, I don't I don't necessarily like that word because of that, because it's so open to interpretation and things like that. So, um, great question, man. Thank you so much. And uh, next question is from the Tricky Ricksta at Tricky Ricksta. Ricksta is with a K, obviously. Well, I don't know if that's obvious, but anyway, no C. It's just R-I-K-S-T-A. Um, he says, is Edmund the worst coach of UFC fighters? <laughs> it's so funny because on the surface, you could say yes. But then... Are we counting Latori Gonzalez? Like, people are... There was a whole thing... Like, the new fucking... It was like the new Artem is the GOAT. It was like the new fucking thing when, like, Dolores was like, oh, well, Latori's 1-0 in the UFC as a coach. Like, she's going to open up her own fight academy. Like, bro. Like, does she count because she cornered him? Like, he was technically her coach for that fight. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. But other than that, as far as I can think of... Yeah. Now, there are other corners who are just like boxing corners that I don't think have any business um, in MMA, and that's what Edmund is. But there are other people on his level as well that I just can't think of at the moment. And there are also, like, there are moments. like right, So like I'm sure Raquel Pennington has a great team that she trusts and have helped her along the way. But whoever fucking shit the bed in her fight with Amanda Nunes... Um, when she wanted out, and they were like, no, 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 just just go back in there. That guy, terrible. Um, but I did, uh, that guy came on Ariel's show and kind of explained himself um, in the weeks after, and I think it, I, I felt better after, after hearing that. But still, um, that was a pretty low moment for, for coaching in general. Basically, anyone that's not Trevor Whitman is fucking problematic. Just kidding. Uh, but I really like Trevor Whitman. I think he's one of the best. Um, this is from Unmatched MMA Podcast at Unmatched MMA. It says, off topic, but Ariel Hawani recently did an interview with Tony Ferguson, and he called out Poirier and McGregor. What do you make of Tony's answer slash demeanor, etc., throughout the interview? And if those two fights were to happen, how do you see them playing out? First of all, thank you for the question. Secondly, no question is ever off limits or off topic for the forum. Um, I mean, first of all, like it goes without saying like any MMA question even if it's not directly about the fights that just happened like that's always going to be apropos um but but you guys know um from listening to me like I will talk about anything if you want to ask me if you want to put a fuck well don't do this actually I was going to say if you, if you were to fucking like drop a fucking like something in the forum and be like what do you think of this um I mean depending on what it is I'll answer but I'm just saying anyway nothing is off limits now um the tony ferguson interview i had a tweet which by the way i think was a very underrated tweet underappreciated tweet um i recorded myself fucking uh singing the part of um 
guns and ships uh, when Lafayette, this is Hamilton, by the way, obviously, when he's like, no one else has more resilience so much as my practical tactical brilliance. Um, that, well, I think was like the fucking gist of what Tony was saying. He was just like, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm still going at it. I'm still the top of the division, which honestly he should. Um, as far as his, his answers and his demeanor, um, I thought it was the most normal Tony we've ever gotten. Like, for real. And I, I don't know if people are saying, like, he's... I don't know if people are, like, dissecting this interview like they were the Nadia's one where they're like, oh, CTE and all this other bullshit. Like, I honestly, like, that was the most normal Tony we've ever gotten. And he said something as well that I really appreciate he said. Um, because, all, uh, like, guys at that level um, will sometimes be like, like, say to to their opponents, like, oh, he's fought a bunch of cans or whatever. Um, Tony said no one in the UFC is a can, which that was so important. A for building up your, uh, potential opponents or both like past and future opponents. And, um, it's, it's also, it's true. Um, now there are, and I, I may have used that word and I, I probably still will. I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to shy away from that, but I'm just saying, um, I kind of forget that because, um, you, you feel like you, a guy like Greg Hardy got, you know, people that were just signed to fight him. And so, like, a can is, like, a fair thing to say. But, like, these are guys that, you know, the UFC gave a contract to. So, um, calling the can isn't necessarily productive. And, yeah, he did mention, uh, well, actually, no, he didn't um, call out Poirier McGregor. Ariel said, he's like, can, can I tell you two fights that I think make sense? Poirier or McGregor and, and Tony was like yeah I'll fight either of those guys what's up so I don't think he necessarily called them out I think there was just a, maybe articles were written about it and they said that personally um, it was definitely Ariel pushing the narrative which he kind of does and uh, like I'm like, lately I'm starting to see where this sort of hate for Ariel comes like I've always been like his number one defender like I was listening to Split Podcast recently Split Decision Podcast and uh, Fight Geek was like you're Ariel's biggest defender and I was like Nuh-uh, bro. I exist. I'm Ariel's biggest defender. Like, I'm always, like, saying, like, you fucking haters are fucking out of your mind hitting on Ariel. But lately, I'm like, ooh, it's hard to defend you sometimes. Um, but, uh, yeah. Tony versus Poirier, sign me up. Tony versus Connor, sign me up. Uh, although that one I wouldn't, uh, I want to see less. Like, I want to actually believe Connor's retirement. I don't. And his tweets about like t- tweeting out I accept and then also tweeting that out in ta- Tagalog. It's not Tagalog, by the way. I almost said Tagalog because I was picturing the word. It's, it's Tagalog. Um, tweeting out I accept in Tagalog. Uh, pretty pretty uh, subliminal message that he's going to fight Pacquiao, which has been uh, talked about. I don't want to see that shit. Um, but if he is going to exist, I'd rather be in that stuff where I don't have to watch. Because like, that's going to be a boxing fight. And if they do that, I don't have to talk about it on the fucking podcast. So, fine. Connor, do your thing. Whatever. But if Connor comes back to MMA, I do have to talk about it on the podcast. Uh, and I don't. I don't want him to stay retired. You know, you made your impact on the sport. You got a ton of money. You have other business investments. Connor needs to start his own MMA promotion as far as I'm concerned. He, he's talked about it before. He needs to do it. Um, yeah. Oh, and, and how do I see it playing out? Honestly, I like Tony in both those fights. Um... I think the Poirier fight is a bit tougher, if I'm honest. Um, and, and I know that's in some ways, like, like there's a portion of MMA tour that likes to discount Connor's skills because in some ways he's, he was given favorable matchups throughout his career and things like that. But make no mistake, Connor is uh, elite, and he, he is, he's, he's up there. But uh, and, and honestly, I think Connor still might beat Poirier in a rematch. But personally, I think 
I think Tony beats them both. However, I do give Poirier a better chance of beating Tony than I do of uh, McGregor beating Tony. Um, reason being, Poirier's last fight was fucking insane. And he just showed that he's always in there. And that's kind of what I feel like would happen. But, it, uh, you know, some of those changes can, can favor Tony. You don't know. I mean, the, the test weight cut that he did for that Gaethje fight could have, uh, you know, impacted him. We'll never know because fighters uh, shy away from giving excuses, uh, even though I think he might have mentioned that. But also, I don't think we know enough about weight cutting to, to make those uh, claims one way or the other. It's, it's such like a, a wild thing. It's playing with fire, really. Next question from my man Cyrus King at Cyrus King. He said, "Is Derek Brunson still called Derek Bumson?" Let me tell you something. I love fucking calling Derek Brunson Bumson. I don't give a fuck. Um, I'm definitely not thinking he's a bum anymore. And one of my favorite new accounts is um, at Brunson MMA. Shout out to 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 the gentleman who runs that account. I fucking love that guy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not calling him Bumson anymore out of respect for. Uh, for that guy, so, but let me just tell you, I will laugh, I'll see it, and I'll laugh, <laughs> all right, uh, next question is from Harry Andrew, at Harry Andrew 94 said, Shabazian is a sick surname, what's your favorite surname in MMA, can't say Izzy, you motherfucker, because of course I was going to say Adesanya, um, there's a lot of names I think are really cool, um, I do rather like Nama Yunus. Uh, I don't know why. And I, and I was recently listening to, to a podcast where they called her Nama Hunis, thinking it was possibly um, Hispanic in origin. Uh, but I can assure you Nama Yunus is, a, is of Lithuanian descent. Um, this is just me trying to educate anybody listening. Feel free to call me a pretentious twat if you'd like um i do also um like gaichi for some reason i like that name gaichi it's just it looks weird but like that fucking names that have like a a, a, a sting to them i also like um miocic i don't know why miocic it's just like i like the fucking complicated foreign names um I'm trying to think. I think there's one more. Um, fucking. Well, I don't know. Anyway, that's it. Thank you for your question. Uh, next question is from, again, the homie John Noble. He said, he says, what's a next for my girl, Jojo? Wasn't happy she took this fight to start. Uh, fight now she's essentially out of the title picture. Yeah, dude, it's... it's again like she it was a it was a high risk low reward situation because if she wins the fight she's still fighting for a title if she didn't take the fight she would have been fighting for the title but again i recognize the fact that she did this for money and it's not her fault it was the fact that she had like if she had gotten that win which propelled her to the number one contendership which got her the title if she had fought back in uh like February or March at the beginning of it when, when things closed down she probably could have sat out because she sat out for almost a year at this point and she could have been next in line for Valentina but now we're in a place where like Jojo had to take that fight like yeah I, I wasn't happy either but I, I got it like I was like I get it 
and uh, like she was praised for being a badass and stepping on short, short notice, which she is and deserves that. But it wasn't about that. The story was lost. Even on like uh, when she did her interview with Ariel. By the way, she apparently also was like an angel and um, talked to um, Ariel's daughter Claire first. Like t- like broke the news to her on Facetime and like talked to Claire, which was like unbelievable for for her to be like talking to her daughter, um, his daughter, um, and then. She said, like, well, I, I sat out since September, and I couldn't wait. Like, she in her obviously super cute um, voice. Yeah, man. Wow, there are a lot of replies to this. Sometimes people get wild in the forum. This is why I, like, called it the forum, because it's it stopped being about, like, just me answering the initial question. It started being about people starting a discussion, which I love, in the fucking replies. So, um... Next question is from Brat MMA at Brat MMA. This is apparently um, someone who had to start a new account, and I don't know your old account, so um, I don't know if we know each other, but I'm happy to know you now. Had some funny exchanges on the timeline. Um, she says, "I was just thinking about the whole prospect being rushed into big fights and losing. As soon as they lose people, as soon as they lose, people say they've been quote exposed. But it, isn't it too soon to tell right after a loss? Most people lose sometimes, and if you're smart, such good, then you learn from it." Yes, absolutely. Like this goes in line with everything I said in the in the recap, everything I said in answer to Phil's question. Like Edwin is not done. And the term exposed is is a bit hyperbolic. Well, t- to be fair, it, it's it's a lot hyperbolic. Or maybe normal level of hyperbolic. I mean that in itself is hyperbolic. But you could say Brunson in a way exposed a whole that he has in his game. You could say that, and that's not an untrue statement. But sometimes, just the better fighter wins, man. Like, that's not about being exposed. He didn't get exposed as a fighter. Like, he wasn't, like, given, like... Dude, he fucking... Like, Brad Tavares, in my opinion, is a, is a good fighter. Um, he's not, like, a championship contender, but he... Uh, he has a lot of great wins, and... He possesses a lot, a lot of skills, and, and fucking Edmund shut him out. Now, I think he did it um, after the war with Izzy, so maybe he was more susceptible to things like that, but yeah, dude. Um, Edmund Chabazian still could be a force to be reckoned with. I think it's too soon, uh, but it, and it goes along with the culture of wanting to hype up these uh, these young fighters. Like People do it all the time, and it's great, but then there's the people that are so... Uh, like. They, they want to hold back just so they can fucking tear them down and say, I told you so all along. Like, I have a friend, and I, and I love this guy. He's not in the MMA community. He doesn't follow MMA. Um, but he's but he's so in-depth in like, watching like movies and, and film and television. He will research something to death, watch all the trailers, read all of the, the, the backstory and the casting and production and, and things that the director has said in interviews, just to give himself a reason to not watch something and disparage it. And I'm like, why, bro? Sometimes just give it a chance. Why? But anyway, um, that's kind of how I feel with MMA fans sometimes. Like like the guys that are like, oh, Chemayev is a bum. He's He isn't fighting. He, he's fighting cans. He's fighting unproven prospects. Like, bro, the guy would do that against anybody. But um, thank you for your question. And the last question I have... Comes from my wife. 
I hate you too. She says, I want to know. If you've made it this far. If you've made it this far. Do you like spicy mustard or regular mustard? Which we call normal or regular, which means yellow. <laughs> she says to me last week and I forgot to put it in. She was like, I want to ask your listeners if they like spicy mustard or reg. I'm pretty sure you said reg. I probably said reg. And it made me laugh because she does this thing where the flavor that she prefers and that she considers normal like she'll call original or normal like i'll ask or her reg. or reg or regular yeah regular and i'll i'll say like which doritos do you want she'll be like, regular i'm like they don't make well they now make regular doritos she means the nacho cheese like those are the regular doritos what arizona do you want regular or lemon which is the well like the actual name of the flavor is um <laughs> but for me i like spicy Obviously, I like Dijon mustard, but uh, if you got this far, let us know if you if you like spicy or reg. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes the forum. And now we're going to look ahead to next week's fights. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are looking ahead to UFC Apex 347. That's what I have in my notes as a joke to myself, and I said it out loud because I thought you were worthy of that joke. And uh, to be honest with you, <laughs> I usually have no filter, so it's not like there are hidden jokes you're missing out on. Um, but yeah, this is their fucking way too many. Like, just fucking come up with a new name, dude, for these fights. My God, if they're all in the same place consistently, stop just fucking numbering them after the fucking... I'm, I'm, I'm so... I, like, I don't get why this isn't talked about more. Like, why are they not coming up with a fucking better name for these cards? Like, why? Uh, but anyway, um, knock wood, at, at the moment, uh, all the fights I'm going to talk about are still intact. And if they stay intact, this is going to be a fucking fire card. Really looking forward to this. The prelims have some really interesting fights. Right off the bat, we got Yusuf Zalal versus Peter Barrett. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, not familiar with, uh, with Peter, but Yusuf Zalal is someone I'm very fucking high on. His debut was insane. Me and Goon were fucking... Loving it. We were freaking out. Um, thought he looked unbelievable. And then his last fight with Jordan Griffin showed that he has maybe some, uh, like a gap to make up in the grappling department. But my God, if he can open up that striking, is so beautiful. And he's a fucking savage. So um, I really am looking forward to this fight. And he won that fight, by the way. Even, even though the, he showed a weakness in the grappling, he still won. So... I can honestly, he could end up being like the featherweight Izzy where, like, Izzy's first fight got taken down. Second fight got taken down a little bit less. And then eventually did not get taken down. Like, he kind of, like, I don't know, his takedown defense progressed throughout his UFC fights, and that's what could be the case with Yusuf Zalal. Who knows? But this is a quick turnaround. That's the other thing that makes me a little bit hesitant is that um, it's a quick turnaround for him. As we touched upon uh, with uh, with Kairos' question, Eventually, that's going to bite you in the ass. It really is. Um, so I hope that doesn't happen because I love fucking Yusuf Zalal. I mean, I fucking love Yusuf Zalal. Word order matters. My God. Um, next fight is Gavin Tucker and Justin James. And I got to tell you, if I was a betting man, I would not bet on this fight. Um, like, very close in my opinion. But... Um, I'm a big fan of Gavin Tucker. He uh, he had an amazing UFC debut. He then he had a fight where he got fucking pieced the hell up. 
and it was like one of the worst stoppages, uh, meaning it was a non-stoppage. I can't remember if they stopped it late in the third or not at all and went to the decision and just should have been stopped. But my God, that was terrible. That fucking ref, like, never heard from again. Rightly so. Like, maybe he's still ref on the Canadian scene because I'm pretty sure it was a fight in Canada. But fucking, wow, dude. Insane. But Gavin Tucker used to be uh, a jazz musician. For years, he t- he talked about an, an interview I, I watched once, um, where he said he he studied for like tw- like did music for like twelve years. He had all these guitars, and he sold his instruments to fund his training for MMA. Um, while like I'm someone who um, thinks you can have both in your life. Like I like when fighters have other interests, and I like hearing that. Like um, like when I find like you know. Like Valentina Shevchenko plays the ukulele and things like that. Like, uh, like Rose plays piano. Like, I love that, and but I respect his commitment to realize that he can't be like one foot in, one foot out, and that he sold his instruments to to pursue fighting. But I hope that when fighting is said and done, because the way he fights, I don't think he's going to have like a super long career. Um, I hope he goes back to music. And rediscovers that love. But anyway, I love the way he fights. It's fucking uh, fan-friendly. Super looking forward to this fight. And you know what? I love uh, the next fight as well. Andrew Sanchez versus Wellington Terman. Let me just say this. Um, Andrew Sanchez, when he doesn't gas, (laughs) is um, is someone I like. But Wellington Terman is fucking dangerous. Um, This is anyone's fight. Um... Again, I'm not giving my picks because um, stop doing that. I just uh, I'd rather just talk about the matchup itself and uh, my excitement level for it and that sort of thing. These are just fights to watch, fights I'm excited about, and uh, this is one of them. And another one that has the potential for fucking first-rate violence is Tim the Dirty Bird Means versus Loriano Staropoli. Now, Loriano, uh, his fight with Muslim Salikov. Really impressed me. Uh, I think he had. A, I think Starbly had a fight with. I want to say Chago Alves, where he looked, you know, really good. But I was like, well, it's Chago Alves. He's a bit older. We don't know. Uh, Muslim Salikov, as you guys know, someone whose skills I highly respect, big fan of, and he went the distance with him and um, gave us a really fun fight. And I'm expecting more of the same. Um, Tim Means did not uh, did not have a good showing in his last fight. I think uh, he got caught. And I'm looking for him to bounce back. This is going to be super exciting. Neither of these guys take a back step. They both come to fight. Can't wait. Can't fucking wait. Um, and that's it for the prelims. Now, opening up the main card is Benil Dariush versus Scott Holtzman. Uh, Benil's last fight was so good. And um, I saw someone tweeted him and he, he shared it. Uh, you know, also known as quote tweeting. But one of the fighters is a little different. Um... He uh he was like, yeah, I guess I kind of fucking threw the game plan out the window and just stood and traded or whatever. But, like, he is the kind of guy that will kind of sacrifice his health or whatever to give us a fucking entertaining performance. He, like, came at Barboza when they fought him, which is why Barboza timed that beautiful flying knee. Oh, my God, that's so fucking still in my brain of, like, cringe flying knee knockouts. Um and uh, but, but Benil Dariush, uh, by trade, is is a legit BJJ black belt, and um, 
He also has come leaps and bounds in striking, working in Kings MMA. I liked Scott's Holt, Scott Holtzman jumping up to 170. I don't know why this is uh, why he's back at 155. Um, I, I hope he is on weight. I don't think he's ever missed weight, but I'm just saying like he went up and now he's coming back down. You know, in a pandemic, I feel like people are like the more short notice fights, people are jumping up weight classes. A lot of especially a lot of the bantam weights are most fighting a featherweight. That seems to be the most common one. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I really like this fight. It's a situation where Scott has really good pressure and heavy hands, and that could be a problem for Dariush. But um, he also likes to engage in the wrestling a little bit, and that could uh, make him more vulnerable to submissions. So who knows? This is a really interesting matchup. Another interesting matchup, uh, and I'm really excited for, is Yana Kunitskaya versus Julia Stolirenko. And I'm probably getting that wrong. I apologize to her. Um... I think even that uh, is wrong. I think her name is not Julia. I think that was autocorrect, doing me dirty in my notes. It's like Julija. Or maybe it's Julia, but it's not spelled that way. It's J-U-L-I-J-A. Um, Stoliarenko. She is uh, Lithuanian. And she is... Uh, I watched her on the um, on her season of Tough that she was on, on the, on the female featherweight season. She was really good on that. And she's fucking. I, I learned this from doing some research on her. She's three and zero in left way, which, if you guys don't know, is uh, regarded as the the purest form of striking when it comes to combat sports, or the pu- purest form of combat sports when it comes to striking. Uh, there's no grappling, but it's like uh, I, th- I believe it's bare knuckle, but it's not like bare knuckle boxing. It is like a, sort of like mu- muay thai, but bare knuckle, uh, and they allow headbutts. But uh, the way the style is, um, people don't fight like Thai boxing, where they like like a lot of Muay Thai fighters. They just like they sit there and they trade power. They go for um, a lot of shots at the body, things like that. Um, this is so different. Like if you, if you ever um, want to go on a deep dive, there's the man named Josh Leduc, I believe. He's like the left king right now. Um, go and check out his stuff. Uh, did I did I mention they allow headbutts? I'm pretty sure I did. Um, it's fucking insane. She's three and zero in left way. Wild. And she's the current, or I guess maybe former, um, Invicta champion uh, at Bantamweight. I don't know if they've replaced her yet, so maybe it's still fair to call her the Invicta champ. Um, and obviously the USC and Invicta have a little bit different relationship. And uh, Invicta, um, they let their champions, or I don't think it's just their champions, I think they let their fighters um, fight other places if they if they need to. Uh, Shannon Epp is really cool like that. She's one of the best promoters out there, I think. So yeah. Super looking forward to this fight. People are probably picking Yana because of what they've seen. And I think it'd be foolish to count Julia out. I really do. Just saying. And again, not giving my pick. And and even if I did, I'm not saying I would pick her. But I think it's going to be a really close fight. I'm looking forward to it. Now, of course, this is MMA and anything can happen. So I could be proving wrong. And, you know, Yana maybe smokes her in the first round. We're like, oh, that dickhead on FWM talked about a girl on tough who was 3-0 in left way. But anyway, that's going to happen regardless. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, the next fight is uh, Maki Patolo versus Darren Stewart. Now, you guys have have heard me drag Maki Patolo through the mud because I think he has the worst nickname in MMA, which is Coconut Bombs. And let me tell you something. It's okay to like it because he is an Islander, and that's cool. And it's, you're uh, passionate about 
your heritage. And I love that. But that's a name of a technique, not a name of a person. Like, Coconut Bombs is not a fucking person, dude. Like, I like the name as, a, as in general, but as a nickname for person, not good. Needs work. At best. Um, but uh, that said, he comes to fight. So does Darren Stewart. Darren Stewart mainly only gets out grappled if he loses. So uh, I'm pretty sure this is uh, this is going to be a fucking... This is a prime candidate for fight of the night. This is going to be a really good fight. Uh, I mean, Tim Means versus Luiano Staropoli is probably going to be fight of the night. But I also kind of hate predicting that beforehand and kind of putting that out there. Because it's also like, you know, it has certain expectations that it may or may not live up to. But uh, amazing matchup on paper. This is going to be really good. Um, I think it might be Maki's first time coming up to middleweight because I think he usually fights at uh, welterweight. Actually, let me double check that Darren's not coming down because that could be fucking problematic. No, no, yeah, it's middleweight, which, again, probably due to the short notice nature of it. Um, but you love it. Uh, we stand a fucking Hawaiian warrior who will go in on a short notice and up a weight class. And the co-main for this uh, for this card is someone that I've been looking forward to since it got announced, Omari Akhmedov versus Chris Wyman. Now, Chris Wyman has not been looking good lately, and he's had some bad stoppage losses. But make no mistake, he can win this fight. Wyman's wrestling could be a problem, and um, Omari Akhmedov. Um, one of my favorite fights of his was the Marvin Vittori fight. That fight was insane. I want to say it was a draw. I remember thinking it should be a draw. Um, it was a great, great fight. Um, Omar Akhmedov versus Zach Cummings. I almost said Pat Cummings. Zach Cummings. Not the best fight. And I think Zach won that. So I think the uh, the story has yet to be written about Omari. Uh, it, it's so funny to do it like it's wild to think that Chris has been giving him these opportunities and and is uh, you know lot as a former champion according to UC website currently unranked like I thought it was I thought it was gonna be the way around like Omari's chance to get into the rankings according to UFC.com Omari's number 11 right now so shows you how shallow the the, the middleweight division is but also shows you the amount of new talent coming up because Chris Wyman unranked like they'd like to do that with champ, former champions like Pettis is always even though if he goes on like losing streaks, he's always like holding on to his rank. It's it's kind of interesting to me. Um, but I don't know what's going to happen in this fight. I think it's uh, it probably favors Omari, obviously, given that he's uh, the younger fighter and uh, Chris Wyman is best days are behind him. But uh, don't count Chris out just yet. Just saying. The same Chris who was counted out was on a three-fight losing streak, uh, choked the fuck out of Kelvin Gastelum. So... I mean, he also got dropped by Kelvin in the first round, but, like, you know. It's Chris Wyman. It's Chris fucking Wyman. He's a guy that beat Anderson Silva twice, so. Let's not, uh, let's not shit on Chris Wyman, okay? Not on my watch. Wait, is Chris, a, is Chris Wyman a Trump supporter? That's problematic. Ah, fuck Chris Wyman. Anyway, main event. Derek Lewis versus Alexi Olenek. Super looking forward to this fight. There's, uh, there's a lot of lunatics on Twitter who like to shit on Derek Lewis. Um, and like to say that he'll never be a champion. And to those people, I say kiss the fattest part of my ass. Derek Lewis is one of my favorite things about MMA. He's hilarious. He knocks people the fuck out. He does not point fight. Uh, he 
Did I mention he's hilarious? I fucking love Derek Lewis. He fucking shits on Greg Hardy. Like, we stand, Derek Lewis. You gotta stand. You gotta stand. On the other hand, I fucking love Alexa Olenek, too. His grappling is amazing. And I just love him. I don't know, like, what else can I say? I love him. I love Alexi Linux. I love the Ezekiel choke. But I also, I'm kind of glad that people don't mention that as much because it used to be like his thing, but he hasn't gotten it in a while because obviously it's a really opportunistic choke and it doesn't happen in MMA a lot, but he knows how to fucking do it. He'll fucking, he'll pull guard or pull mount or whatever. He fucking did to, uh, I want to say it was Junior Albini. He got it from the clinch and then just sort of pulled him down, laid down and got that choke. I was super fucking impressed with that. Um, because he did it when he did it to Victor Pesta, he like baited him in. He dipped his hip to bait Victor Pesta to go to mount, and then he wrapped up the Ezekiel. Fucking uh, Linux is next level. But um, I, I, I see Derek's uh, boxing being a problem for Alexi. That said, Derek Lewis, the struggle against grapplers, but mostly it's wrestlers that can get the fight to the ground. Alexi's not that guy. But like I said, he can pull that choke from standing, so. This is a really interesting fight. I'm glad that it's uh, it's headlining. Um, Derek has headlined before. Alexi has headlined before. I don't think either of them have gone the distance. I don't think either of them have gone the full five, five rounds. I don't think that's going to happen this time either. But I'm just saying, I like that it's five rounds. <laughs> and I like that it's in the smaller cage. I think that favors Derek. But who knows? I mean, the small cage favors wrestlers. But I don't think Alexi's a wrestler. I think he's just a grappler. He's more of a submission guy. Uh, obviously, that, that makes it so Derek Lewis has less space to run. But uh, like I said, Alexi's never been like a, a takedown guy. Never been a wrestling guy. So that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes our show. We did everything today. We talked about nerd shit. We talked about music. We talked about fighting a little bit no we talked a lot about fighting um thank you for for getting this far probably gonna stop thinking people get to the end because most people do get to the end and and, and and people tend to like say who the fuck doesn't listen to the end you'd be surprised but um yeah uh thank you everyone for your support follow me on instagram and twitter at fwm underscore pod um if you if you want to support me and you want some fwm merch you can go to redbubble.com slash people slash fwm pod and there you will find uh, a plethora of things you will find my logo on masks and that's usually what pops up first and people are like oh you just did masks no you got to click on show all products for those particular logos, those artwork, and you'll see the other options. There's fucking leggings. There's A-line dresses. There's uh, baseball tees. There's regular tees. There's hoodies. There's zip-up hoodies and pullover hoodies. There's fucking posters. There's everything is on there, dude. Mugs, 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 phone cases, laptop cases, iPad cases. And uh, I'm setting up an OnlyFans soon. No, I'm kidding, but I will never shame anyone who does that. But I did say I would I would set up an OnlyFans of me doing fighter impressions, and OnlyFans Twitter account commented, "We'd love to have you." And I thought that was my end, dude. I mean, obviously it's up to me at this point. The ball's in my court. I'm just fucking 
not sure what I want to do with it. I have a feeling this is just me diatribing and you're just going to have to deal with it because this is my brand. Um, I often wonder, like, I've been thinking about doing Twitch, right? And, like, streaming my podcast live and and just doing it that way. Um, that, would, that would have to cause, like, more prep and a uh, better setup than I currently have. But um, it's not that hard. However, I'm more interested in the, another aspect of Twitch called Twitch Sings. But then I don't want people from fucking Twitter uh, to find me on there. I wanted, I want to be like, I want it to be separate from MMA Twitter. But then I think about the OnlyFans thing and I'm like, what if I fucking did some singing on there for the people that actually give a shit about it? And then I think, who wants to pay to see me sing? Like, that's a fucking audacious claim. And then I go back to my original thing, which is maybe I just won't do it. And that's where we are today. Uh, anyways, uh, much love to everybody. Again, uh, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Black lives matter. And if you think that means other lives matter less, you're wrong. Uh, these are just the ones that need focusing on right now. And uh, be kinder to everybody, especially online. It is so dangerous and so problematic to think that, oh, it's just online. Like, let's say cyberbullying doesn't exist because people can just close their fucking phone. Like, that's a fucking terrible mentality to have. Um, yeah. That said, good night and good fights.